Yeah, they got to wipe these people out. Adam Curry, John C. Devorak. It's Sunday, February 16, 2014. Time for your Gitmo Nation media assassination episode 592. This is No Agenda. Welcome to the official non-governmental organization podcast from FEMA Region 6 here at the Travis Heights Hideout in Austin, Texas. In the morning, everybody, I'm Adam Curry. From northern Silicon Valley, I have no idea what he said. I'm John C. Devorak. It's Craig Vaughn and Buzzkill. Is that because you can't hear me, or you just, it was unclear? No, actually, I could, but you were long. I don't know what you said. And also, the music's a little louder than you. No, I'm sorry. Well, I, I was just saying that this is the official non-governmental organization podcast from FEMA Region 6. We need to be a non-governmental organization. And I've No, but I've looked into this. We can be a non-governmental organization without being you know, like an official 5013C nonprofit. This is true. Why yeah, we, not? Yeah, we just call we can just us. say we're, we yes. can just make something up. This is it. And I've tried it last night. I gave it a shot. All right. We had a, a couple's dinner. <laughs> a couple's dinner. I know. Oh. Now, what does this even mean? <sighs> it's, Aren't uh, all dinners kind of a no. couple's dinner? This is, so here's what happened. One of the, uh, Mickey has... Uh, I think two years ago, we met this beautiful girl, uh, probably the the most beautiful black woman I've ever seen, like Cleopatra Jones beautiful. And Mickey, you know, she, they, they started doing stuff, and she, she has fashion stuff, but Mickey used her for a lot of her artwork, so she's kind of Mickey's muse. And her husband, I think we've talked about this, her husband is a lobbyist here in Texas, but he's totally no agenda material. And uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's a very good thing. Uh, and and so there was good. And she's pregnant. She I guess she has like three more weeks to go. And someone was going to do a baby shower. And then he went from a baby shower. And so, and so anyway, so Mickey says about a week and a half ago, she says, oh, look, I, I, I got shanghaied into this thing it was supposed to be like a baby shower. But now it's a Saturday night. I know you're prepping, but it's this couple's dinner thing. Whatever. Please, please, please. I say, OK, no problem. I'll go. So there's five couples, there's 10 people. And this That's is That's pr- a pretty good sized uh, event. Yeah, and it's pretty much the worst thing you can do to me. Certainly on a <laughs> you know and and I knew actually some good some there's a lot of good that came out of it cuz besides the lobbyist um the banker was also there. Who and I'll talk about him later cuz he knows one of the bankers that uh, committed suicide. So we can bring a little info in about that. And, uh, but then, uh, you know, I had the opportunity with three new couples to reintroduce myself and come up with new ways of saying it. So I tried the, the new ways to, to not annoy people. <laughs> no, no. New ways to talk about what I do. Okay. See, I work for a non-governmental organization. I work for an NGO. That here, must here just go Austin. over. Yeah. That's gotta be huge. <laughs> it was, it, it's a winner. Really? Oh, wow. Well, you That's... know, the funny thing is. <laughs> Technically, technically, it's our true. show is a non-governmental is a organization. non-governmental org. And if anything, yes. that is not government. General Motors, non-government. Well, hold on. Did they did they pay the money back yet? I think so. Yeah, okay, then they're an NGO. So I tried it two different ways. I tried NGO and non-governmental organization. And NGO works better, hands down, because people they don't even know what it stands for. Oh, oh, okay, great. Oh, so, so you just buffalo them. Yeah, so what do you do at the NGO? I'm a legislation analyst. Oh, wow, this is fantastic. 
Uh, so, uh, so I think we just we just need to say it, the N N A N G O. We are an official NGO, and I'm I'm just going to keep trying it. See uh, see how far I can take it. It seems to work. I work for an NGO. Let me yeah, see if I practice on this. And then, hello, I'm I'm John. How, how are you? Hi, hey. Um, I've seen you around here uh, at the club. What do you do? <laughs> Yeah, hey, yeah, I, I, I you, come around once come, in a while. I'm, I work for an NGO. Oh, really? Do you uh -huh. come here often, often at Swingers Paradise? Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> most NGO people, they got nothing else to do because they're paid. <laughs> oh, man, oh. All right, so um, actually there were some, we met some some nice people, homeschoolers and everyone. It was kind of a, a, mixed, a mixed batch. It was nice. Uh, but of course, you know, I was like at nine thirty. I'm like, okay, nice drinking with y'all, but I gotta go. Why oh, NGO work? Oh, that's official business. He has to go. Official business. <laughs> but that was nothing compared to Valentine's Day. And uh -oh. I, I have to say, I I feel gypped and screwed, and I don't know if you witnessed any of this, but I got guilted. And this whole it was really bad this year. Typically, you know, I can get away with whatever. But somehow, because uh, the, we had the show before Valentine's Day, um, and you know, and I had there was another thing. We, oh yeah, we had that's right. We had a thing going. I don't. That's that's crazy with the social calendar. <sighs> anyway, uh, I didn't uh, you know think of reserving anything or you know like restaurant or any of this. And Friday morning, Mickey wakes me up with a beautiful card and breakfast and candles and like ah. Oh, oh, you dropped the ball. Oh, like, oh, freaking Russian fracker. I said, can we? I'm like, oh, I, at least give me the morning to arrange some stuff. She said, no, no, don't worry. I, you had a show yesterday. I know. It's okay. I'm like, oh, okay. This is very obvious. The gauntlet is down. Yeah, that's not good. No, oh, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> and, and don't went, worry about forgetting about me. But I didn't forget. It was this was it was not okay. This I was totally shamed and guilt. I'm I hop in the truck. I'm running around to flower shops. Let me tell you something uh, that I didn't know, but it seems obvious. Flowers in Texas not a good match. <laughs> and and pe people literally would look at me like. You seriously, you're here for roses right now on Valentine's Day, and they'd walk away from me. The people in the store would walk away. Yeah, like you're, I, you're, yeah, <laughs> like I was a degenerate. Yeah, I would do the same thing. <laughs> so, so I, I wound up finding you know some uh, handmade chocolate, and I got a a beautiful card, and and I drew and 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 oh, you know how when you have uh, the you have the card and you have the magic marker and you're doing like your thing, and and you you're lucky you got through the spelling, but then I drew the heart. And it kind of looked like an upside down butt crack. It was ugh, totally horrible. But then, after our dinner, which I did was quick to arrange something, we were invited to spend our uh, Valentine's evening with the constitutional lawyer and his uh, wife, and uh, because they uh, uh, they're big donors to the Zach Theater here, and we went to see the play in the next room, or the vibrator play as it's known. Are you familiar with this play? Never heard of it. It was by Sarah Rule, I'm, and believe me, I'm just reading what I Googled. Uh, it was nominated for Tonys, and I think it won a Tony. What's the name of it again? Uh, In the Next Room, The Vibrator Play. And it's about the first doctor who you know, used the vibrator on women to rid them of their hysteria. 
you know, the play may be very well written, but within the, you know, we're in the first act, halfway through the first act, and Mickey and I are looking at each other like, oh my God, this acting is so bad. It's just completely horrible. And maybe, <laughs> Welcome to the locals. And maybe 10 minutes after that, all of a sudden, a guy keels over right behind us from a heart attack, probably because of the acting. <laughs> it's just boom, <laughs> and we, it, you know, this is the third time this has happened with me. So I don't know if it's me. You know, so oh they, yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I heard of this play because it actually premiered in Berkeley. Yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. That should tell you enough right there. Uh, so the guy, uh, he, he's, he keels over, and uh, and Mickey stops the play. <laughs> this is what? The, yeah, this is the woman you want when there's an emergency. So this guy keels over forward, you know, and so now he's like one row behind us. And Mickey just stands up and says, <laughs> "Oh, this is unbelievable!" Yes, and Mickey, and Mickey stands up. Your stop. stories are better than mine. He says, "Stop, stop, medical doctor, medical doctor." And I'm like, as opposed to a veterinarian, I don't know. What are we gonna do? So, but she, and and it's good. And then because everyone's frozen, and Mickey is like, "All right, call it. Is there a doctor here? A medical doctor?" And then people are like, "Should I call nine one one?" And Mickey's like, "Yes, call nine one one. You, 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 call nine one one. Just totally take it over." I think she saved the guy's life. <laughs> she probably did. <laughs> Or yeah, that's a Valentine's Day gift. Yeah, and well, and th- that really kind of you know blew you really <laughs> you really blew it. You could I know what you could have done to save the moment, not not the play moment, but before. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You have a local guy there. He's been wanting to meet you. You could have called him up, telling him he has to do a little act. It was like part of it, and pretend that it's been planned in advance, and have Brian Brushwood come over and do some magic. <laughs> and, and it would finish off with a bouquet of fake f- roses. Boom. Right. Out of his ear. All all I had to do was call Brian Brushwood. How stupid am I? I could have taken care of all of this. Thank you. Yeah, he'd he'd fake it. Anyway. Uh, You blew it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Mimi's just, it doesn't happen in my my family, doesn't like that. I get a usually call on Tuesday, a couple days before, or if if I'm not up there, I'm down here, and she calls me. Mimi will call and say, Hey, don't forget, it's Valentine's Day. Really? Make sure to send Jay something. Uh, do you, but you don't have to send your daughter something. Is that part of Valentine's? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we, my, Christina and I Well, in America, it, it tends to be. Yeah. All the women that you have seen in the last six months, if you, if you put your <laughs> eyes on them, you have to send them something. If you lay eyes on them. Oh, I saw. What day, what's the date? Oh, oh damn, no. it's just across the deadline. But it's such a bog- gotta, it's such a bogus. You got to send them at least a hello. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, that's what the e cards. That's why that's uh, been that was great invention. Oh, I love you, kind of. Here's an e card. Anyway, uh, so uh, I had lots of time to to work on real things <laughs> besides bogus. I think this the story about about the heart attack in the theater is priceless. This is the third time though. The previous time was what? She, people dropping around her. Yeah, no, no, around me. Remember the UT game on Thanksgiving where the lady died right down two rows below me. Then we had the heart attack on the plane last time we flew. It's this is the, this is like the third heart attack. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You might have some vibe coming off. Yeah, maybe. Well, third, three, three is a random number. Yeah, you could, probably won't be, happen again no, ever in your not, life. Probably not. Um, so I focused on the th- three things that we were talking about last. I focused on NGOs because I, I just you blew me away with your study 
And to revisit that, uh, I don't remember exactly what the study was, but the result was people believe... It was the trust study done by Edelman on a yearly basis. Right, the tr- exactly, which we, you were not supposed to report on. It's a secret. I'm not supposed to write it up. That's uh, the way I heard okay, it. Okay, that's what I heard, and too. So I didn't write it, a word not, of it. Not a word. Um, and so the trust study is people trust non-governmental organizations the most. And so I decided it was time to probably revisit a couple of these. Wow. Particularly human... Oh, you, what, did you find something? Oh, my God. Particularly Human Rights Watch? Oh, yeah, those guys. Well, but these are kind of the guys. They're the ones that have been doing all this, the Soachi stuff. But that's the way to pronounce it, by the way. Soachi. Soachi. Not Sochi. Soachi. Um, well, before you go there, I do have yeah. one clip that, that relates to where I think you might be headed. All right, good. Uh, which is, I have a clip of a woman... Uh, it's our, our, our one of our ski jumpers, a female ski jumper. This is the first time they had female ski jumpers. This the clip, by the way, is the Olympian does not get the memo. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that because she's on, and she's pretty, she's a pretty Olympic ski jumper. And they had her on RT just t- telling what she thought about the whole situation and all the other, you know, what give her impression. And I believe that she was one of the people that weren't weren't briefed. Because who's who's going to talk to her? Who? Oops. And, and they and so she was honest, not brief, and she told it like it is about Sochi. Nevertheless, have been enjoying life outside the games. We heard from some competitors. I find it beautiful. I think um, <laughs> no. it's been organized great, and everybody's really nice. And of course, the scenery <laughs> is just fabulous. It was hard not to Stop. pay attention to how much um, negativity it was getting, but I was trying to stay optimistic. I knew I was coming here regardless, and so far, I have been so pleasantly surprised. Well, as a sidetrack to that, I have been following the Olympics. I tried to recatch the fever, which is very, very, very hard with all the negativity surrounding it. One of the couples last night, the guy used to be in radio sales. Now, I think you and I pretty much can identify a radio sales guy from a million miles away because they know exactly what's going on, right? And they're, they're kind of, they're like mm, stock traders almost. Would you agree? This, that's a very typical kind of floor, guy. Floor guy. Floor guy. And, but he understands what's going on in life. And we got to talking about the Olympics and he said, oh my God, they're doing it so well. Did you did you see the uh, the snowboarder whose brother is all messed up and he's like and now he's all you know even though he was a better snowboarder he got Parkinson's I think or some they put the camera disease. on that guy a little too long oh what do you mean it's it's beautiful in slow mo <laughs> beautiful we were talking about how that has got to be a ratings bonanza anyway. So yeah, human well, it definitely gets the tear to come out yes, of most people's eyeballs. Of course, yeah. of course. And then the- there's a lot of tear jerking <laughs> moments in these Olympics. Well, and then the, our 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 short program ice skater fell, and then he got up and he finished his program. A true Olympic moment. I shed another tear. <laughs> fell on his ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people yeah. were falling all over yeah, the place. Yeah, but he didn't lose because he had the Olympic spirit. Uh, so so. Th- if you look at Human Rights Watch, this is very, and their record is so atrocious. Uh, in fact, the um, uh, it was Malinowski, I think it is, who worked for, he was a high-ranking official at Human Rights Watch, was nominated and approved to be Assistant Secretary of State for Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. And subsequently, 
is now in is convenes actually the the Tuesday meetings where they determine who they're going to kill with the drone. This is Human Rights Watch. This is and 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 this this guy was in government before, so he went out of government into Human Rights Watch and back again. And these people are all for renditions, you know, as long as they're not, uh, you know, the inhumane. This is a horrible organization. It really is. <laughs> it's just, it just, and I, and I, so of course, you know, I had to pull their nine ninety just to see, uh, to see what's going on. They have, oh my god, I think they do thirty five million dollars in revenue in one year. I'm pulling up the nine ninety now, so I can just give you the. Uh, I made a couple of markups. Um, yeah, I think what was kind of interesting. Hold on. Uh, here we go. What did they do? Yeah, they did um, $36 million in total revenue for 2012. Salaries, $11 million. Seems a little on the heavy side, if you ask me, but okay. How many people do they have working there? Well, they don't specify everything because it's uh, they don't have to, first of all. Uh, they only show the, the top people who are working there and it's all within reason they got just they got a lot of people making 240 to 260 thousand dollars all right but when you really see the grants they paid out was 3.7 million dollars um so they they almost triple the amount in salaries as to what they actually paid out in grants all the rest of the money um goes well what what what, what was i'm sorry i'm sorry this is human rights Oh, I made a mistake. This is Human Rights Campaign. This is the split off. So you have the Human Rights Watch, then you have Human Rights Campaign, Human Rights Campaign Foundation. It's a, it's, it's a web of stuff. And this is, this is the gay and lesbian thing, HRC. In fact, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, this is from their, their tax form. The Human Rights Campaign is organized and operated for the promotion of the social wel- welfare of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community by inspiring and engaging people from around the globe. That is their mission statement. Uh, and th- what they do is they give little bits and bobs to, you know, uh, just a different LGBT organizations. But the majority of the money is going into overhead and lobbying, $2 million for lobbying. And then the page where they have all their donors, because it says their money comes from individuals, they have all the, all the amounts, but none of them, because they don't have to report it. None of the names. So there's an individual who gave 150000 341000 but no names. It's completely non-transparent, this whole thing. Well, you, now you confused me. Why? Well, because the what about Human Rights Watch? Did, oh, they, oh, did you get yeah, their no, 999 Yeah, oh, they have over $150 million. No, no, but th- th- I think what I'm trying to say is there's split-offs, and you have to follow all these individual little bits. And the Human Rights Watch, that is pr- that is pretty much one-for-one one the State Department, and a lot of their money comes from, uh, what is it, the um, uh, Democratic Endowment? Not fund, what is it? Uh, endowment, oh, come on, what is it? That, what is that thing called? The Endowment for Democracy? Come on, help me out. I don't know what it is. I never heard of it. Yes, of course you do. It's the big drinking club. Well, there's a lot of those. <laughs> Hold on a second. National Endowment for Democracy. You know this, don't I've you? I've heard of that. Yes. This is where Hillary Clinton huh. speaks at this all the time. And this oh, is yeah, that Madeline operation. Albright and, 
Yeah, uh, something. Do, yeah, they take somehow. They, there's somebody's funneling money to them. That is directly from the State Department. And then they, they distribute it out to all these other groups, including Human Rights Watch and Human Rights Now and Human Rights Campaign and Human Rights Foundation. And these are all the NGOs, and they come up with, with little reports. And even though we reported on it way ahead of time, it seems that for some reason this now is news. A group monitoring freedom of the press worldwide has issued a strong rebuke to the U.S. The World Press Freedom Index ranks the U.S. 46th this year, down from 13 spots down from last year. Reporters Without Borders says the U.S. had, quote, one of the most significant declines in press freedom. And now if you look at the numbers, we're really talking a difference of 4% uh, over last year. So on a scale of 1 to 100, you know, there's a 4% decline that puts the U.S. in 46th this place. That's not a 4% decline. That's not right. Yeah, it is. No, we were thirty-three before, uh, right? No, now no, no, we're forty-six. No, 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 they do it by it's a it's a it's a number. If you look at the actual document, it's a number scoring system. This is this is the oh, trick. I see what you're saying. Yeah, this is like showing a graph. The, the of, input. Yeah, the input is literally a four percent difference over last year, because everything is so close. You know, when they have the numbers about education, oh, America's hundred ninetieth on the list, which is really it's like two basis points different from number two. It's just it looks really good and makes for a good press release. So it's nice catch. Yeah. And this will go nicely with our new domain name. Thank you, Paul, the InfoSec guy. Reporterswithoutboredom.com. I I guess we (laughs) came up with that last time. And we have reporterswithoutboredom.com as our website because I think we should be doing our own little report. Um, And that, of course, brought me right back to the human rights NGOs. And I thought maybe it would be interesting to revisit briefly human rights. Uh, could people talk about human rights, gay rights, animal rights, but mainly human rights, and I guess the big thing is LGBTQI rights. But where do these rights come from? Who determines the rights? What are, who, who codifies the human rights? When were these put into existence? Okay, you're asking me? I don't know if you if you recall. Well, I mean, the way it's usually presented is it was, there were God-given rights. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> Except this really happened in the 90s. That's when the... <laughs> yes, this is... <laughs> I didn't know that God came yes. through. Yeah, he, he, he was took, he passing through in took, the 90s? Took him a little... T- well, he got stuck in the 80s. <laughs> he got stuck in with shoulder pads, and he's like, I oh, he was grooving too much. He came in in the 90s, and that's really when the United Nations codified all this. And what I was going to do is go back to a quick clip. I pulled this from one of our earlier shows from the early 300s. When I, interviewed, I remember this, yeah, by the way. When I interviewed Samuel Moyne, a professor yeah, at Columbia. Be good. Yeah, professor at Columbia. And he specifically uh, talks about where these human rights really came from, but what they're really used for. And as you might guess... They're not really to protect other people's human rights. They're used to impose uh, military warfare on countries who are accused, or states, as you will say, who are accused of not uh, protecting human rights, which is exactly what's going on. So I thought it might be good to revisit that. As you implied, human rights are open to so many divergent uses. And the one thing I would uh, clarify is that the UN tries to introduce human rights right after World War II, and that's how we get the Universal Declaration. But... No one really cares. And in a way, the U.N. initially is where human rights go to die. 
So what happens in the post-war period is that human rights are kind of reclaimed from the UN. On the one hand, ordinary people, part of amnesty and eventually part of human rights groups like Human Rights Watch, begin to take, take a claim to human rights, to uh, analyzing other states, to criticizing other states. Uh, and we have the Human Rights Council, the United Nations body that does this as a, for a living. It definitely does so. It definitely does so. But so, but there are also so-called non-governmental organizations which try to provide an alternative uh, human rights forum to the United Nations. And then presidents do it. So statesmen since Jimmy Carter have uh, invoked human rights, uh, have said American foreign policy should abide by human rights or even promote human rights. And there we, we get into, I think, what's quite difficult about it, because human rights could mean lots of different things, and it really depends who's invoking them and to what purpose. I, I wouldn't want to rule out that it can be uh, a language that can make a difference, since uh, interfering with other sovereignties may be something worth doing, and there may be ways of doing it that improve the world. Um, but as you suggest or fear, it could also be subject to abuse. And I think we have to just be realists and look out uh, so that when we hear human rights, we ask what for, which rights, wh with whose interests in mind. And uh, that is a professor who has written the book about human rights. How, how does human rights and droning some family out in the middle of nowhere, Yemen, yeah. how, go how, together. How does that go together? Yeah, it doesn't. You, how, the only way I see it going together is if you condition people enough to not care. And that's also kind of his point, is that Americans really don't care. And if, and if, you, if you look at what's going on, if you look at the spy programs, um... You know, just the IRS targeting, any and really anything. No one really cares. No one gives it. it no, it you becomes, know, what, it's a punchline. You know what kind of makes that don't care kind of interesting hmm? in, in an ironic way? Hmm? Is that there, there are two political factions that dominate the, the conversation in the United States, the conservatives and the liberals. Right. And they both pretend to care. In a lot of different ways, but when the ball is in their court, as it is in the liberal right court now, at the yeah, moment, yeah. they don't care. Well, they don't do anything. Nobody about gives it. a crap yeah. about Obama's kill list. No, they talk a big oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. What are we having for dinner tonight? Uh, and then what? What's what's interesting is, and I, and uh, it's fun to watch the lesbian the lgbbtqqi community sit by idly while they are being misused in the latest round of uh, what the human rights organizations the ngos the non-governmental organizations who are either directly or indirectly funded by the, the federal government are misusing gay and rainbow for their own benefit of course, and and to and to increase their, I know, but to increase the coffers, and everyone's going along blindly. They don't care. They don't care, or they're part of it, or it's it's maybe it's a social thing. I mean, it's like go back to again the gay news that with the Andy Hum and what's her name Northrop woman. 
they don't really go beyond anything superficial. Just like oh, they somebody somebody's a douchebag. Uh, this guy uh, said right. that gays are bad. This guy said that gays are bad. And I mean, there's nothing more to it. They don't th- see any big picture, and they don't care about no. uh, you know the truth about the Russians or anything in between. Well, so they he, don't care. Well, here's here's the latest, I think, blatant misuse um, of the alternative lifestyle and sexuality communities. And can we stop with be calling it a community? The community. And a community. You're lesbian, you're gay, transgestered, transgestered. You're, you're transgestered. I'm transgestered. This is a new one. You're, you're bicurious, bisexual, heteroflexible, whatever it is. It's just community. You're, the, you're part of the community of the human people. But this, this one really blew me away. Facebook users, your about section just expanded in a big and maybe for many of you unfamiliar way. <laughs> Under gender, there's now a custom option and it allows you to choose from 50 terms. Here's some of the examples. Cisgender, gender fluid, two-spirit, intersex, and neither. Joining me now, Rich Ferraro, Vice President of Communications for GLAD. So, Rich... Now, let's pay close attention to what's going on here. This is a representative from GLAD. This is another non-governmental organization. And this guy is peeing in his pants with joy that they have somehow... It was so hard to convince Facebook to allow people to customize their gender, where really... Facebook is going, wow, thank you for yet another invaluable data point so we can send messaging to these people from advertisers. How obvious do you have to make it? It's so obvious. It's a win for Facebook. It's a win for Facebook. And this guy is, he's almost like, it's like glad we had had to work so hard, but we got him to do it. We got him for equality for all 50 categories of sex and gender. You actually worked on this project with Facebook. So whose idea was it, and why did it become an issue and an important move for Facebook? Facebook today is a reflection of who we are and the story that we want to tell the world about ourselves. And there were some users who couldn't do that. Um, (laughs) I don't have to tell you what this, you know this kind of guy, right? This PR guy. It's really, really horrible. Facebook contacted... Yeah, smarmy PR guy. There are, a lot of them are very... They're all cut from the same cloth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Glad to help work with us on work this issue. Us. And Glad was happy to work with Facebook. But more importantly, we were happy for the transgender and the gender non-conforming youth who now could tell... Gender non-conforming youth. ...the world who they are in their own words. So what do you say to those folks that are like, okay, this is just way too much to understand and comprehend, and why can't we just keep it more... Simple. I don't think it's ridiculous um, to accept LGBT young people for who they are. I think that Facebook has really made um, a great step forward to telling those young people that you can be who you are on Facebook. Well, that's a beautiful thing. We all want to be who we are, right? It's a beautiful thing. We all want to be. That actually, that's a little slam at the end. That's kind of funny. Listen to what she says at the end. That's a beautiful thing. We all want to be what we are, right, Rich? You crazy gay PR guy. On Facebook. Well, that's a beautiful thing. We all want to be who we are, right, Rich? <laughs> right? You sleaze. Oh, you that's sleaze very bucket. subtle. I hadn't heard that the first time around. That's nice. Um, and and so, so this is, to me, I can't see it any other way than this is Facebook just taking advantage of free publicity, basically, um, and, and turning that into direct advertising dollars 
because of... Oh, yeah. No, this is another... You're right. This is exactly right. This is a data point for advertisers and the NSA and whoever else because now you've just... You've given a little bit more of yourself away because yeah. you are a... Whatever these things are, transgester, or whatever that... <laughs> you know, whatever some of these 50 categories. I'd like to hear a reading of the 50 categories. Do you have that? Well, the funny thing is I went into Facebook and I, I wanted to try it and it seems like... You type in a letter and they give you suggestions, but I think you can do whatever you want to do. It seems like you can change it into anything, but here's the rub. So I went in, and, I, and of course I put in heteroflexible. I think that'll be funny. And then I save it, and it says... <laughs> what does it even mean? Hey, who cares? Heteroflexible. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be able to send me I think that's what ads. everyone should put in. Heteroflexible. And, and I said, put that in, but then Facebook says, oh, no, you can't do that. You have to have two categories of people with two different gender descriptions. So you have what? to... Yeah, I know. This is crazy. You cannot just have one. It has to... You have to... You can have two the same, but you have to have one for your friends and then one for public and one for your... What? Your red circles. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how Facebook works. It's, I, I'm afraid I'll get sucked in and, and I'll become a user. A robot. <laughs> I don't want to get hooked on it. So I'm hey, trying you to... know, John, uh, <laughs> Facebook's really not that bad. I think you've got the wrong impression. I think so, too. But then, uh, so as I'm researching this, I fall into, I, I think this is all part of it, the uh, gender neutral, gender neutral parenting movement and community. Oh yeah! Now this is pretty big. Oh, it's huge, and this in the Bay Area, we get a lot of uh, of of those man on the street reports from our local news, where this person is like, you know, I don't understand why they keep the bullying problem is out of control because my son wears a dress. Yeah, and yeah. we think he should he should wear whatever he wants. Whatever he wants to do is fine. Yeah, or we want to raise our son as a boy and a girl so he won't grow up aggressive towards women. Yeah, there's that. Now, there's, there is one, to, and this is literally parents exposing their children to uh, traditional boy, traditional girl stuff and lifestyle. Then there's the, and I'm trying to follow, then there's the gender, the gender creative parenting, which is different which I think Ooh. is actually yeah. Which I think is okay because it's it's not saying no when your kid wants to play with uh, a, a dolls or you know wants to have his hair long or whatever. It's not saying no, you can't do that. You're a boy. That I'm okay with. I I, I think the name gender creative parenting is off base because it's just it's it, a bit pretentious. Yes, uh, but it seems like every one of these parents who was in the news, you know, like raising my boy chick. I really oh. Isn't boy chick an old term, an uh, old uh, Yiddish term? I don't know. I'm not familiar yeah, with boy that. Boy chick. Hey, boy Why chick. Boy chick. <laughs> Goy chick, I think, is what you're thinking of. Um, but they all have a blog or a book or a... <laughs> blog. Uh, so, but I think where all of this is headed, and this is what I'm a little, a little worried about, this eventually, I think, is headed towards, um, uh, what do we um Emancipation. And, and we may want to be, as parents, may want to be careful of what's really happening. Because at a certain point, when it comes to gender, I think doctors already are saying, oh, mom, dad, you have to step out of the room because, you know, I'm going to talk about something here with your kid. And that's when the doctor will, you know, say, well, here's some condoms, you know, but, you know, don't worry if you feel attracted to girls and, or, 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 you know, same sex. 
And doctors are... Well, I, you know, I think you might be overlooking something. Okay. Which is our basic theme on a lot of these things. It always boils down to it, which is taking our rights away. And in this case, I would say freedom of speech again. Hmm. Because this whole sort of thing, this whole, you, where you, this makes it so you're disallowed from saying, you know, your kid is going to be screwed up if you keep this up with them. Right. With the make, you're actually making him wear a dress. Now, why is he coming to school with high heels on? He's in the fourth grade, lady. Yeah. Oh, you're bullying me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, I was, I was much of society, much of society, especially, uh, and I think this is also part of the world, the movement toward one world government and all the rest, even mm-hmm. though this is a little wackier. Mm-hmm. There's always been this, you know, this movement to, to, to kind of disintegrate the uh, societal norms insofar as uh, peer group pressure is concerned. And if you have all this, this essentially balkanization of the social norms, in other words, no, people just do, you know, they're all nuts, kids are coming in the fourth grade with tattoos on their face and they're saying they're a girl and, they, and they're bald. And I mean, there's a million <laughs> possibilities. And, and if you can't, you know, if, if there's no social norms that say no, you know, does, as a as a community, a, a real community, in other words, the people that live in this town can't tell you no. You can't do that with this kid. It is disruptive, uh, and if you can't do that anymore, then the whole society falls apart because most of it is based on this sort of pressure. But I, I would take it just. I think I leapfrogged this step and I took it one further. And I believe that the I, and we've there was some other UN thing, children's rights, and children have to have rights, and they have to be able to sue their right, parents. We talked about this too in it's, some show. Yeah, and and there was some legislation. It's just coming back to me now. But I believe when they were thirteen or fourteen, you know, maybe even twelve, uh, that they're going to start to give these children so-called rights, which makes it you know you got to be careful because then people start to tell your kids what to do against you. Um, yeah, and that is going on now to an ex- to an extent. It's I mean, the, the kids come home from the school, yeah. which is a reason for homeschooling, uh, and they got these crackpot notions that are fed to them by their teacher. And I mean, I've had it with uh, with uh, Eric the Shill, I Buzzkill Junior, who came home with some what? <laughs> with what? Uh, with what? With, uh, where did herpes? you learn that? You, oh, no, it's mostly stuff like Columbus. Columbus was a slaver, and he's a horrible person. It should be we should have Indigenous yeah. Day rather than because we killed the Indians, and we're horrible as a culture. We all stink. We should shoot ourselves in the head. The American Academy of Pediatrics, of Pediatrics has embraced the youth rights campaign and movement. In recent policy statements on emergency contraception and care of LGBTQ youth, hey, could you people get it right? It's LGBTQQI. The AAP, that's the American Academy of Pediatrics, urges pediatricians to counsel, counsel, educate, and support young people in the exercise of their sexual and reproductive rights. This is 12 and 13-year-olds. The AAP informs its physicians that regardless of the adolescent's current intentions for sexual behavior, the pediatrician should discuss sexual safety and family planning as a matter of routine anticipatory guidance. Uh, the the conscientious pediatrician will go by offering to supply supply both boys and girls with emergency contraception to have on hand in case of future need. Uh, and this is done without parents' consent. Twelve and thirteen year olds, and 
And by the way, I'm, uh, I handed out stuff to my daughter even before that. But that's my decision, not some association of pediatrics as to what they're going to do. And that, and it also, it, I think it runs both ways. Parents have to take responsibility, and we're easy to just pff, hand it over. Yeah, and there are some parents that are irresponsible and crappy, yeah, and I yeah. think that targeting them, you say, well, let's look at this one, is beside the point because yeah. they still have these rights uh, since they, you know, bore the kid and yeah. raise the kid and pay for the kid's school and do whatever they have to do if they, you know, if they can manage. Um that's not yeah, right. That's ownership. Yeah, this is a, well, this is like Sparta. They let, let, ideally, that some people would love to take all the kids. You have a kid, goes right to a training camp. Yeah. He never sees the parents, except on maybe once a month. That'd be perfect. You put something in the newsletter, uh, which relates to this. By the way, big kudos. Um, our friend who does the newsletter for the uh, the spin class place, she's, she, she reads our, our newsletters. Because she does a newsletter, and she's a big fan of your newsletter. And she thought the cat stroking the the dolphin was just about the best thing she'd ever seen. <laughs> she thought that was just. She's like that was almost no fair. Says how can you top that? There's nothing better than that. <laughs> hey, I spent a lot of time. Getting I know. These images. No, good work. Here's uh, Ellen Page. Uh, she's an actor, and she chose the human rights campaign uh, to out herself. Um. And I had I didn't even know I didn't even know who Ellen Page was until I saw the newsletter and then I went looking for her. I'm like, oh, okay, I know who she is. Uh, so I have this this minute and a half of her coming out. Is that relevant to, to play in in regards to what you wrote about? I don't know. Play it. And we'll find out. If we took just five minutes to recognize each other's beauty instead of attacking each other for our differences, that's not hard. It's really an easier and better way to live. And this is exactly not what HRC and HRW are doing. They are not taking five minutes to look at the beauty and the rainbows and the unicorns, which I'm all for. Instead, they are yelling, Putin hates gays. Putin hates gays. It's not. It's, it's true. It's not constructive. It's just not. It's not a constructive thing. Who says it's supposed to be? She just said it. Well, she's an idiot. Well, she's uh, she's there on behalf of human rights campaign. Who are the people yelling this? Yes, I know, but this is, she's the she's the counterbalance. It's like maybe you won't notice that they're doing <laughs> what you just described. Oh, yeah. And they're all just a bunch of good people. This is a great operation. Definitely, it saves lives. Then again, it can be the hardest thing. Because loving other people starts with loving ourselves and accepting ourselves. And I know many of you have struggled with this. And I draw upon your strength and your support in ways that you will never know. And I am here today because I am gay. And because... <laughs> I do want to say, with 50 categories on Facebook, with big applause when you're outing yourself, how come when I say I'm bi-curious, which is a category on Backpage, it's a category on Craigslist, how come I get, no one's applauding you for me? You get booed. I get, <laughs> I get shouted down. You get shouted down. Well, you're not Ellen Page. You're not cutie. Yeah, but it's that's horrible. And by the way, by, by the way, she, I've heard her before. She is so nervous. 
Yeah, she's very nervous. Uh, well, th- I mean, she is extremely nervous. This may have been a big deal. I mean, I can totally understand. I'm sure it was. I mean, a lot of people, you know, the funny thing is you, if you do a lot of public speaking, you, and especially if you've never really been nervous in front of a big crowd, you will find a, a, in a moment someplace in, in your in your career of talking to people and talking to the public where you actually get nervous. It, it, it happened to me once, and it's extremely annoying. I got nervous. <laughs> when it happens, only, yeah. yeah. The only time I've ever gotten nervous talking in front of ci- the city council. Really? Those boneheads? Yeah, yeah I know. That's the joke of it. That's funny. Yeah. Not sure why. Anyway, go on. But I've yeah, of course. I, I've had it. I think I had it once with maybe it was uh, Mick Jagger or something. I was interviewing someone, and all of a sudden, I just fucking lost it, which had never happened to me before. I was like, <laughs> maybe it was Quincy Jones, but I was drinking then. I don't know. Um, anyway, the uh, I guess the point that I'm saying here is there's a matrix of this NGO crap that is pulled all around us, and I, I appreciate that you kind of broke your embargo, although I think you held to the letter, you didn't write anything up, but told us about this. We need to use it well, to our no, own Well, no, I benefit. didn't break an embargo. I would, this was an oral agreement, A, and it was about writing about right. it That's specifically. Yeah, you I can't report right. on yeah. it. But here's the, here's the proviso that went, went in there. It says, you can't talk, you can't write about it, you can't talk about this. This is a, this is a non, this is a private event, but you can tweet about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if I can tweet about it, this yeah. is a, means that social media is open game, and yeah. this is social media, what we're doing. So, I, But I, regardless of how we, we break this news, uh, the, the two things are, one, we need to take advantage of this for ourselves, and we really need to use that, and I'm just, I am now officially crowning us with the title of NGO. And we need to be very, very vigilant and continuously look into all of these operations that we have been trained to accept as the good guys because they're just not. And even the good guys who have these good intentions are really just misusing their causes to further political agenda. Yeah, no, in fact, this is what I claimed on the last show. Looking at Edelman's complete list, he first stumbled on this the first time he did the truth survey and started to notice it as a major trend, and that was 14 years ago. So <laughs> the made, governments themselves, yes, and he made a billion have, dollars doing they it. Looked at the, at the, they looked at they looked at this guys like this. This character is a hot shot, hmm. and he's one. Of the, he has a, one of the major public relations operations in the world, and when he says something like that. People take notice, and then, which is, I think, the reason they want to keep it as quiet as they can. They take notice and literally take advantage of it. Yeah. And here, well, if everyone's and, trusting the NGOs, let's just become an NGO. Yes. And as you just did, yep. well, if nobody likes that we're podcasters, well, let's just become an NGO, which yeah. we can. Yes. We the are. Podcast is an NGO. It's a non governmental organization. Yes, we are. Two guys. We are an NGO by subscription. <laughs> subscribe exactly. to subscribe to my NGO on iTunes. Yes, we're an NGO, but yeah. and there's and there is no I don't see anywhere any rule that says an NGO has to be a non-profit charitable organization. Let's check out the Book of Knowledge. Let's just uh, let me see. The book of knowledge. Governmental organization. I don't think you have to be a non-profit. I don't think you have to have some kind of certificate. Non-governmental. Oh, there's no such thing. This is like being a reporter. You don't need to uh, 
to have a you don't need yet you don't need a license ah hold on yeah this is true i think i just as it's opening up and for some reason everything's going slow today here listen to this the term non-governmental organization ngo normally which means not always refers to organizations that are neither a part of a government nor conventional for profit business i'd say That's we're us. Hi- yeah we're highly unconventional usually usually set up by ordinary citizens Hello? That's us. Two for two. NGOs may be funded by governments, foundations, or ah. businesses. Well, we don't get any. We get some business support. Some avoid. Oh, wait. Some avoid formal funding altogether and are run primarily by volunteers. NGOs are a highly diverse group of organizations engaged with a ri- wide range of activities and take different forms in different parts of the world. Some may have charitable status while others may be registered for tax exemption based on recognition or social purposes. Other may be fronts for political, religious, or other interest groups. Well, that's us. <laughs> We're a front for our rent. <laughs> yeah, that's what we are. The number of NGOs operating in the United States estimated 1.5 million NGOs. 1.5 million, and that's not nonprofits. That's 1.5 million NGOs. Yeah. That's just... Outrageous. And that, that doesn't include Russia, which has 277,000, it says, and those are probably mostly American. American. <laughs> those are American. Now have to be registered as foreign agents. Look at yeah. India. How are they doing? 3.3 million NGOs. What are they do? How's that working out? There's just one NGO per 400 Indians. <laughs> that should be our ratio. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I, th- I think we fit the mold. We can... Let's just see. Is there any monitoring and control? Oh, wait. There's some organization. Hold on. Uh, Kofi Annan. Uh, I just need, need if we have to register anywhere. Legal form. Ah, oh, legal status. Legal form of NGOs. You can, well, hold on a second. You, now that I think about this, and I think we discussed this on a show about a year and a half ago, the United Nations has some sort of list of official NGOs that somehow promote whatever. Hmm. And I believe, at least I tried, and maybe you did, to, get on. to fill out the forms necessary to be listing, hmm. listing the show as one of their approved operations. But it was so confusing, I think we gave up on it and then stopped talking about it. Well, so here the legal status, legal form of NGOs is diverse and depends upon homegrown variations in each country's laws and practice. However, for... Main family groups of NGOs can be found worldwide. Unincorporated and voluntary association. I think that's us. We're not incorporated. And we're voluntary association. Trust, charities, and foundations. Companies not just for profit. Oh, hello. It's not just for profit. That's us. We're not just for profit. Exactly. We're for fun. Comedic value. We're here to serve the public needs for real information. (laughs) Yes. Value for value. Entities formed or registered under special NGO or nonprofit laws. Okay, we're not in that. All right. Um, we'll have to, we should probably look into that again, see if there's a list we can get on. Someone can certainly get us on a list that's, that's valid. And then isn't there like... Yeah, no, a, I think we have a better shot now than we did before. Yeah. There's, certainly there's some kind of seal or stamp of approval or ribbon or some banner we can put on our website that makes us official. Don't you think? There's got to be something. That'll pack them in. <laughs> That'll pack them in. <laughs> oh, they're official, so I can listen to their show now. 
Well, John, thank you for your courage. And in the morning to you, John C. Dvorak. And in the morning to you, Adam Curry. In the morning, all the ships and sea boots on the ground, feet in the air, subs in the water, and all the dames and knights out there. And to our artists, thank you very much for all of the wonderful work that you provide us with at uh, noagendaartgenerator.com. Uh, episode 592, Martin J.J. back. And we look forward Woo! to seeing what happens uh, today. Uh, and uh, we always appreciate the work that our uh, artists do for our album art. In can, the morning, can, can I? Yeah. Okay, before you oh, finish in the morning, but I do have yeah, to say something yeah. about the art. In the morning, the the, the chat room people. Um, oh, who've been so, yeah, I've been so nice today. Zzz, this is my favorite. When someone just types a whole line of Zs, like I guess they're bored or something about what we're talking about. Oh, Zs. Yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah why, <laughs> you why guys you, bore me. Yeah, I'm so bored. Look at your life, I, loser. You're sitting I, there I, listening I, to a podcast. I want to I want to uh, mention something about uh, Martin JJ and the art. Yeah. Just to the other artists. Just I mentioned this about 3 or 4 months ago, I'll mention it again. I went back and looked at old art because I was digging up something for the newsletter and I noticed that like years ago Martin JJ was constantly sending stuff in. And I don't think we picked his stuff for 2 years. Because he was missing it. You know, yeah. he just a little thing there, a little bit there. Yeah, it didn't wasn't quite, quite as funny it. as yeah. he could. Yeah. He wasn't nailing it. And and so this is a thing that I would I I'm just saying this because I don't want to dis I don't want to see artists discouraged because we don't pick their art. So what you're saying is keep keep going at it, at a boy. Is that what is that, is that your yeah, message? Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Keep trying, and one day the gods of no agenda, the NGO, might choose you. <laughs> we might bestow you with the honor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right pretty on. much. So the way this program works, and the only reason why we can even bring up the topic of NGOs, because we're not afraid. We don't have to pay our uh, our rent from the NGOs who we have to go and you know be nice to to get a handout. We don't have to do any of that. We don't have to be nice to advertisers. All we have to do is satisfy the people who actually produce this program. They are our producers, and they support us with all kinds of information and also financially. And the, the top donors for each episode, they're our executive and associate executive producers. And a good list today to uh, kick us off into, uh, into the new week. That's your and I do want to mention, we also have this new category called Special Executive Producer just yes. for Show 600. Yes. And we do have, for just random number, I guess, three people showed up today. Wow. Taking that honor. Sir David Foley, $600.33, and he's in Los Gatos. We know him. He's the, what was the name? What's he does? 4K, what's his name of this 4K, website? 4 Use NA for a, for a discount. But I, I believe now Sir David Foley is the, is he... Is he a Grand Duke now? No, no. He's he's got, he's no. the Archduke. He's no. still Archduke of Silicon Valley. He's up there, but he's not. Yeah. Grand Duke is. He's, yeah, he's it's just going to. That's hard. All right. Now, in the morning, John and Adam. Sorry for the gap in supporting your courage. Please find my Club Six Hundred membership payment and thirty three cents for good measure. Nice, and you'll get a special uh, Sir Hank and Sir Hank and Kew Gardens, New York, six hundred dollars. Uh, uh, thank you for your hard work. Uh, please give a karma shot for you and everyone out there to keep hitting people in the mouth. You've got karma. Sir Howard Kraut, Longmont, Colorado. Um, I have it. I have it. I have it. I have the note. Oh, you have the note. I didn't. I couldn't find the notes from him and his brother. It's kind of funny because I I forward the note to Eric, 
And then he puts in the spreadsheet, you got an email about it. Well, yeah, that's why I forwarded it to you. Anyway, so I found oh, He's it. not going to type all that crap in. It's Oh, I'm sorry. Control Unless it's cut and paste. C, control V. Oh, my hand hurts. Whatever, just read the note. Hi, everyone. The Kraut Brothers look forward to producing show 592 and the 600th edition of the greatest podcast in the universe. We thought the Victoria Newland segment was great. Fantastic analysis, Mr. Dvorak. Moreover, Adam, <laughs> you're spot on with your assessment of Facebook. Keep it up. Today's donation makes the Kraut Brothers a knight. We'd like to be known collectively as the Knight of 89th and Bluegrass. Of course, no Kraut Brothers producership would be complete without Adam's patented shout-out to Eleanor. I'm not quite sure what that patented shout-out is. Yeah, your patented shout-out, you know. No. No. Okay, by the way, keep (laughs) thinking about a real-time donation mechanism for those who listen to the live feed. That's uh, Paul and Howard Kraut, a couple of Jews from FEMA Regions 2 and 8. <laughs> Beautiful. And they'll be knighted later on today. I like the idea of, of real-time donations. You know, you, I think you just cut people off while they're listening to the live feed. Or if they say something dumb in the chat room, just cut them off and you know, charge them to get back in. That's what Leo does. So he doesn't charge him to get back in. That's a that's a twist that, that would that, be cool. That, that's like you can get it's an unblock. cost you five bucks. Yeah, you could get an un five. You cheap hey, bastard. I had to pay five bucks to get back in. <laughs> Bounce. Now it's gonna cost you ten. ten. Uh, we uh, really appreciate uh, the uh, the special producership from the Kraut Brothers. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and we'll be uh, look forward to knighting you later today. Grant Signer. C-Y-N-O-R. $592 from Leewood, Kansas. He'll be an executive producer. This is my return as producer after calling out Helmet Head and Fisherman as complete douchebags on show 550. Helmet Head has stepped up and de-douched himself. So that is that just leaves Fisherman as the remaining supreme freeloading commander of the douchebagdom. <laughs> Yeah, I think we should douchebag him, don't you? Uh, yeah, of course, I'm happy to. <laughs> I think, all right, he says, I guess to this dude, the model is value for free. <laughs> I think the only thing left to do is to appeal to the D-bag's wife. I encourage everyone to like her Hagen Hill photography page on Facebook. <laughs> oh, gosh. At last check, she has three she has pal- a paltry through 234 likes. Then maybe the cheap D bag will pony up under a new value for my wife's value model. <laughs> Lastly, this puts me past the coveted knighthood dollar amount. Please shake a rain stick for me. To- we should shake the rain stick. Well, is he hold on the on. list? Where does, it, where does he want to be? Uh, uh, Kansas City? I, I got to point it the right way because we've been getting a little bit of flack from the UK. I, so. I still need some here. Oh, okay, I'm going to do Kansas City. Perfect. Now I don't know. I don't think uh, Grant does not seem to be on the list. Uh, In fact, uh, neither do the Kraut brothers. Interestingly enough. Okay, we'll put him on the list. Yep. Drago Ariato, five ninety two Waltham Cross, Hertfordshire. My name is Diego. 
and I have been a cheap bastard. Please de-douche me and give me some relocation karma as I'll be moving from Gitmo Nation East to FEMA Region 2, New Jersey. You guys are awesome. Hold on a second. I just like that. That's just that's the opening of a movie if I've ever seen one. Hello, my name is Diego, and I have been a cheap bastard. Don't you think that's a, gr- a yeah. great opening for a movie? That would be perfect. Tarantino. <laughs> You've been de-douched. You've got karma. There you go. De-douched. He's got Tarantino written all over. <clears throat> it does. I agree. Aaron Bear and Wilkes Bear, Pennsylvania. No coincidence. Spelled differently. $500. Hey, JCD, here's a famous movie line for you. You sell put some cheese on that motherfucker, man. Um, what did, I don't know. I have no idea. What I have no from. idea what that movie's from. It's something to do with uh, cheese and a burger. Growing up in a public in public is not e- it's not easy, homie. Take it easy. Oh, this he's talking to you. Hey, growing up in public's not easy, homie. Take it easy on the old boy JCD and don't be so mean. By the way, the segue into episode five ninety second donation karma thing was flawless. Okay. <laughs> so I agree with that. You stop it. Tim Wachinski in Elkins, West Virginia, three thirty three thirty three. ITM. Oh no, I'm sorry. No, sorry. That's dear, dear John. Just sharing the love of my recent signing bonus. He got yeah. a signing bonus. Oh, very nice. Congratulations, Tim. Okay. That's great. Blue jewels, three hundred thirty three dollars from Arlington, Virginia. Just says ITM. That's it. No. That's he, he he's in Arlington. Hello. Well, why would he say more? <laughs> mm-hmm. I would have to agree with that. Yeah. Yes. And actually, if you knew the, if you, I, I decided to be, protect him, so I'm not telling the whole story about anything. Good. I'll tell you later. All right. I'm not trying to keep it from anyone. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> it came is it, he he sent this in in an envelope uh, with the return address. Of of the Electronic Frontier Foundation in San Francisco. Okay. So I don't know. There's something fishy about it. <laughs> uh-huh. Sir Mark Baron of Tokyo. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. 26218. Uh, okay, that's the $10. He's got $10 for every mile he'll be running in the Tokyo Marathon next Sunday, 23rd of February. So he's running a 26-mile marathon. Mm-hmm. And I have... WW No Agenda Show emblazoned across my Lycra. So other, you know, it's like Carrie Schoen, who's disappeared from our listening listenership, used to put it across her butt. Yeah. Uh, so other producers should look at me along the way. So anyone in Tokyo, go watch the race and watch for the guy running around with a No Agenda show uh, on his back. And maybe his front. I'm not, well, I'm not out promoting No Agenda. I will be raising money for Home for All that we're building in Soma City, a few miles from the exclusion zone in Fukushima. Things are still pretty tough there, and kids cannot play outside. So Dame Astrid and I are designing an indoor park. Check out my Indiegogo campaign for more deets. Deets. Uh, just do a search for Tokyo on the Indiegogo site, and I will pop up. Uh, if you support my campaign, you'll be able to see me run live from RunKeeper account, the RunKeeper account, route photos and heart size. Heart oh, rate. Sorry, heart rate. <laughs> it's got a big heart. At least the NSA and my health insurance company will know where I am. I've been training for the last six months and lost almost 20 kilograms wow. in the process. And Wow. 20 and kilograms? Run, that's that's pretty good, Mark. That's 45, yeah. 50 pounds. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole you, person. It was, he wasn't a fat guy, was he? No, he was British. 
Yeah, or well, <laughs> have almost run the length of Japan. No agenda has been my on with me all the way. You have great companions, training companions, far better than those friendly, trendy spinning trainers. Hey. The show just gets better and better. Thanks from Tokyo, Sir Mark. Um, okay. So, so for your uh, edification, it looks like Miss Mickey and I will be going to Tokyo in May. Uh, Miss Mickey has been offered uh, a show, and uh, uh, our our barons over there in Tokyo are going to hook us up. What I think be- I'm going somewhere in March. Uh, to Tokyo? Detroit. I'm going to Detroit. <laughs> Finally, I got a, a speaking thing oh. in Detroit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Detroit. I'm I'll going, have better pictures than you I'm, have. I, I'm gonna why I'm gonna go up to Fukushima. I'm gonna go okay. get me some. I'm gonna get radiated. I'm gonna take a Geiger well, counter. You can use a little radiation. I'm, I'm gonna take a, a Geiger counter and take videos. Look! Oh my God, it's clicking. <laughs> you should. This is going viral, baby. You're dying on the West Coast. Thank you very much, Sir Mark. Uh, highly appreciate. And not just the donation, but also what you're doing uh, for the kids uh, and the home for all. Very nice. Was that? Oh, that was it. That was the last one. Yeah, that was uh, closed our uh, associate executive producer segment and executive producer segment and the special executive producer segment for show 592. Don't forget, we have another show coming up on Thursday. Go to Dvorak.org slash N-A. Dvorak.org Slash N-A. And as always, these credits are good where credits are accepted. And remember, our formula. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. Yay. I heard so a, apparently oh, Eric sorry. is selling those 33 bags oh, and he's on, selling quite a few of them. Oh, they're on the website? On the No Agenda yeah, Nation? Yes. I'm surprised he hasn't sent some samples out to us. Um, he he did ask, and he and he said, he said, you want some? I said, yeah, give me a couple. I mean, I don't know. You sell them. I'm happy to have a few. Um, and then I think it would be cool to give out. Yeah, and then he came back and said, well, the post office rejected your address. He had my address from a year ago. It's weird. So I had, so I have not actually received my bags yet. I'm looking oh. forward to it. I did That's receive, um, I did receive yet another healthy surprise uh, box. I didn't. Oh. And it, that's also going. This will be the last one because I keep telling Joe to email me because he's going. That's going to the old address, and now the the, the post office won't forward anymore. But in there, I had, and maybe you had this in a previous box. The freshly wild kale joy Ugh. with must eat mesquite, <laughs> and uh, it's almost like the Lord is messing with me because then NPR has some deal with Ted, which I think ruins both brands. Quite honestly, Ted.NPR.org. And they have really Ted.NPR. Yeah, yeah. This is news to me. Oh yeah, no. So they have this whole show, a whole Ted show, where they're playing little snippets, including Doctor Terry Walls. I start with greens because they're greens. Oh, by the way, can we stop? This is almost as bad as veggies. Greens. Do you find greens to universally mean the same thing? 
I hate veggies. I start. With I, I like vegetable. I like to eat vegetables, but I hate the term veggies. But it's, green, it's creepy. Yeah, but greens. That's okay. I'm, greens. Uh, they got some greens. Yeah, I don't like. The, it sounds I, like a pill. <laughs> hey, you got some greens? Yeah, I got some greens. I got some blues. I got some, some I got some cross tops. <laughs> I start, start with greens because they are rich in B vitamins, vitamins A, C, K, and minerals. And those are two types of kale. Woo! Kale has the most nutrition per calorie. The most nutrition oh. per calorie, John. That's got to be. That does, what does that even mean? I don't know. Of any plant. Of any plant. <laughs> I find that hard to believe, by the way. So do I, but it's on Ted. It's an NGO. It's a brassica. It's a cabbage. It's a form of cabbage. By the way, Ted is kind of, they have NGO status as well, somehow. You know what I mean? I'm not quite sure how oh. they did it, but because they, they're very commercial, but they have some kind of... That's why, that's why. Ted, NPR, it's, it's beautiful. The two types of kale. Kale has the most nutrition per calorie of any plant. Oh. The B vitamins will protect your brain cells and uh. your mitochondria. Uh -huh. Vitamins A and C support your immune cells. Uh -huh. Vitamin K keeps your blood vessels and bones healthy. And minerals are cofactors for hundreds of different enzymes in your body. Oh. Why is she shouting? Well, because she's programming you. No. Have more kale. Now, when I heard that, not eat more kale, but have more kale, I felt it was time for this. So, have more kale. 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 You 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 have more kale. Have more kale. You will obey. I think that's working well. Our kale campaign. So you went to the couples thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you came back and early. I made, and I made this. And, and you felt the ob obligation to produce a clip. <laughs> well, I, th I thought it, it worked. I like this. It's just okay. It's Boom. You guys are amazing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I'm going to disprove that that thesis. So of uh, that we're amazing, or or kale is uh, the most nutritious. That plant kale is of number all. one on yeah. the list. Uh, you know, I pointed this out food. before. I never really went into it in great depth, but this whole thing started in England, but with one public relations company that was hired by some kale growers mm -hmm. who apparently couldn't sell this stuff, usually because mm -hmm. it's gosh awful. Mm -hmm. You can make it edible, but you have to actually go out of your way. It's not like something that's naturally tasty. Yeah. It's you, you know, if you beat it up and cook it in bacon fat and you put a lot of nuts in it, and then you really you, first you got to parboil it to beat it beat it up so you can actually chew it. And then you cook it in bacon fat and you get this bacony, greasy gabagoo, <laughs> or fry it, deep fat fry it so it's like a crunchy potato chip. You can choke it down. So these guys in England have, have done everything they can to promote kale as this bogus superfood, and this is the word they used, uh, in, in, and it's, in fact, it's in taken fact, off. I mean, it it, says this it here, is what public relations does. It says it right here on, on this Kale Joy, Freshly Wild Superfoods is the name of the company. We need to be the no agenda, non-governmental super organization, super, let's be a superfood. I think we can be a superfood. <laughs> superfood for the brain. We are... The no agenda, non governmental, 100% natural, antioxidant rich, omega 3 and 4, vegan, gluten free, dairy free, non GMO superfood podcast with no trans fats. It's a mouthful.
Okay, so you have so the kale tastes like crap, is what you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, it's really bad. It's just horrible. No, the, 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 I crazy. have not had. I've cooked it once uh, using. Uh, I have a lot of recipes I'm accumulating, and I want to remind people if they have send a recipe for kale yeah. that's a little offbeat, to put the subject line kale and send me an email with it with the recipe. I don't want just a copy of something from food.com right. to Dvorak. You know, John at Dvorak.org. It's not that hard to find my email. And I, I'll put a little uh, No Agenda book together at some point when I have enough of these recipes. I should be able to cut and paste something pretty quickly. But most of these recipes are the same. You parboil the kale five minutes so you can beat it up a little bit. Take all the stringy stems and stuff out. And then you cook it in bacon fat, you know, as much – and with bacon chips in there. Maybe throw in some walnuts and then, and then choke it down while it's still warm. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's what she said. Salt and pepper. Took it. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's, All right. That's onward, onward, onward. Got an interesting email from one of our producers um, who was very familiar with the drone campaign. This relates to the uh, $250 million WordPress blog from uh, the Pierre Drive My Car and Grand Greenwell Don't Rap and Laura Poitras. Oh, by the way, before I even mention that, I got a nice little note. That uh, James and Patricia Poitras uh, donated $20 million to the Institute for Brain Research at MIT a couple of years back. I didn't know that Laura Poitras came from money. That seemed, If you can th- throw money at a, just a research operation to the tune of $20 million, that means you've got a lot of money. And here's what was in, and it's family money. It's from uh, from his parents. Oh, yeah, she's loaded. Yeah. She's a rich girl. Yes, she is. But what's interesting... Uh, after hearing uh, Bob, we talked with Pat and over at dinner, and we realized we could help make this happen faster than they'd hoped. The Portuses have committed $20 million to support research on major depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and other psychiatric disorders at the center. Um, and they say one of the reasons is uh, that we were happy to do this is uh, one of our own daughters was diagnosed with bipolar disease. Now, they don't say which one. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Interesting, huh? Yeah, I wonder if it's Laura. It could be. Could be. She, you know, she the way she acts. I mean, that that, that would explain a lot of the, the hassle she goes through when she comes through the the across the border. You're you're pretty on the verge of having a nervous breakdown flying anyway, overseas anyway. anyway. Yeah. And you come in, you're a little uptight. You yeah. say the guy uh, says, ask you a question, and you what? you're in your little what? 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 I'm what? Not, I'm not doing anything. What? What? <laughs> or or you know, or she snaps at him. Yeah. I uh, mean, if you snap at one of these guys with a snide comment, something that a bipolar person might do, you know, just as a me- some mean sort of boy, you're in, you're in lockup for hours. Oh yeah, that's not really lockup. You're in a closet, but or a room. So anyway, this you know, uh, this this huge, well-funded venture cranks out one bullcrap drone story. Let me just read what our producer Matt says. Uh, hey, you know, switching SIM cards does make sense, but not with drones. When I was in Afghanistan, high-level targets would give their sat phones to low-level idiots. The idiot would be given a message to read over the phone, so they would be targeted and not the high-level guy. It seems that makes sense to me too, by the way. Since 2004, the U.S. is using newer technology that allows them to clone captured SIM cards. Often a group of suspects would be stopped and blindfolded. All the phones would be taken, SIM cards cloned, then returned to the people. 
Originally, it would take hours to triangulate a person, then it would only give you a general area. With the newer stuff, the clone sims, it took 15 to 20 minutes to pinpoint a specific building. They caught on to this and would give their SIM cards to nobodies or idiots so they would be thrown off. This switch of SIM cards only makes sense when there are boots on the ground to throw them off. If they capture a nobody, then they will release them. Switching SIM cards doesn't make any sense if they're being droned. They would just switch the SIM cards again. Uh, Matt says this is total bullcrap. And it's also not the way it works. There is real boots on the ground for a lot of these dronings. But as I was thinking about this and the Poitras thing and, and really our conversation, and I, I kind of, I think I misunderstood you on a Thursday show where or we were just in completely different vibes about what this thing is. And I think you were looking at it from a journalistic standpoint of this is what you come up with. I think that maybe that's, am I categorizing that right? Where you just saw this blog and went, what? Well, that's what I did. I don't what? know what you you were. I don't know what you were talking about. Well, what I was talking about is you know what what is so there's the journalistic side where I think a lot of journalists, yourself included, as you're, you're in a, more in a milieu of writers and journalists than I am. I mean, I didn't get the invite to Edelman and told to not you know not write about it. You know, I don't hang out with John Markov. Okay, so I think you're more in that milieu, and I think there's a lot of it's like 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 poets. You know, you sit around grousing about the other guy. Yeah, look at these assholes. That's what they came up with. Can I be a little right There's on that? an element of that. There's an element of it. Okay. <laughs> What's well, a milieu? Like you said, yeah, it's exactly yeah. what it is. So I'm looking at this Greenwald thing. Is, um, and it hit me the other day. He is just did a you new... Say, did, you, did you come up with a new name for him? Did you say Greenball? <laughs> yes. Greenball. Glenn Greenbald. <laughs> Glenn Greenbald. He is just a new, it's a new, a new cog in the wheel of the military industrial complex. And I say this because if you look at the intelligence community, there's about 16 different agencies. And we've, ident- we've probably identified, maybe 12 of them, I think we can identify. But they're right down to the, you know, our, our friend's special uh, our friend's girlfriend's special area in the State Department. I mean, there's all there's all these little... Everybody's got an intelligence unit, right? Yep. Now, if you look at it, all but one of them are related to, one way or the other, the Pentagon or the Department of Defense. Only one of them is a civilian agency, and that's the CIA. Exactly. Uh, so they So they really are outsiders. We have no idea what their budget is. Uh, they, of course, really do run the the wet operations. They do kill people. They're doing the real work. And I think what happened is that we we started this military industrial complex in the '60s. Is really when uh, when we were warned about it. And I believe that what we're looking at right now is, including Glenn Greenwald, Greenwald is is just this whole thing is spinning apart because, you know, we're withdrawing from portions of the Middle East, you know, so what do we have to do? We want to keep, it's like 60 or 70 or $80 billion a year at least that goes around with all the, it's contractors, right? It's not, Edward Snowden did not work for the NSA. He worked for Booz Allen Hamilton. You know, these, these and those guys have six, seven, eight billion dollars worth of contract by themselves. So yeah. this, this is a huge thing that has to keep going, and the only way to keep this going, of course, we point this out all the time on the show, the only way to keep this going is to keep people afraid, 
Uh, now the terror is coming to the homeland. You know, be very worried about about all of this. And I, I found some numbers, and I found it in. Go ahead. Be, before you get those numbers, I, I want to throw something in what you just said, I, just for the listeners as an aside. The people who promote this idea that you should just be sitting in your house watching television, afraid of your own shadow, need to be. You have when you see somebody doing that to you. And if they're a politician or anything else, you should either call them on it or vote them out of office. These people are evil. Anyway, go on. Well, I did something that we we tend to do from time to time. And in fact, I did that at the start of the show. But I went back and I listened to the relevant portion of Eisenhower's farewell, farewell speech, where he specifically talks about the military industrial complex and warns us for it. And I, there were a couple things, and it's only a minute and 50 seconds. You know, I've cut down all the, the bits and pieces, and this is kind of nice. It's a dramatized version, John. There's a little bit of music in there. I think we should listen again to what he actually told us and what he actually said and look at some of the numbers that he's talking about in 1961. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We now stand 10 years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. I, I love the little piano bit. <laughs> it makes it makes it more more dramatic. I'll, okay. I'll see where it comes out. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. Now I had to look this up. I had I was like, what the heck is the president talking about? Plowshares and swords. Um, swords to plowshares is a, a term used apparently uh, before I was born. Is the concept in which military weapons or technologies are converted to peaceful civilian applications. And what Eisenhower says in this speech, and this is this was a televised speech, and he's he's saying, "Be careful, people. The people, the the American plowshares. So this is the our civilian industry can actually reverse the process and start to make swords, which of course is exactly what happened. All of our you know our aircraft, our vehicle industry, our weapons industry, we were just making I don't know, like little shotguns and uh, and cars to tootle around in and planes bombs. to fly, and now it's bombs and fighters and tanks. So yes, he was correct in his assumption. And before this, he said we had never had this in the United States. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. All right. Three and a half million men and women in 1961. I got the 1960 census. At that time, there were 179,323,175 people in America. Right, roughly half, half the population we have today. So if you, I don't know if it's fair to do this, but can we then say that by today's numbers, that would be 7 million people in total? Yeah, I think that would be fair. And I, I would wager it's a lot higher than that right now. Oh, I thought you had the number. <laughs> I don't have that number. I bet you it's more, uh, I, bet I don't you know more... what it would be, but it's not seven. 
Well, why don't you look that up? Now, this I don't have any way of looking that up. Thank you. Oh, yes, what... I can. I, let me, let me give try, it a shot. Try it. Try it. You try it. Of I'll give it a shot. Hold on. I'm going I'm to re rewind just a little bit. He says some more interesting stuff here. I do this. Yeah, keep going. Three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. Now, I didn't know that he had said so that security and liberty may prosper together. Because that is pretty much the only piece from this entire speech which is left over and is continuously abused by politicians saying we need to find the balance between security and liberty, which, of course, the president recently took to uh, a new extreme by saying uh, security and your uh, freedom. Did he say, did he say your, your freedom or your liberty? Liberty, not even liberty, it's, it's, just liberty. Your liberty. Liberty, out. liberty, yeah. Uh, but but the we are there. Th this has now happened, and I think that it's good to revisit from time to time. This is now what is it? Forty years later? What are we? Fifty years later? Where are we? Yeah, fifty years later. Here we are. And it's got well, the number appears to be about the extrapolation. Seven million. Six actually. Nah, that can't be. That makes no sense. We have yeah. two million people with classified status. But alone, well, this is this all is specifically the defense. Anything hooked directly to the Defense Department and and the and its industries hmm. must be a lot more robots. Well, I think there's a they're taking a lot more money at, at the top. I think uh, I don't I don't know. Well, after the war, World War Two, I think they're pretty much fully staffed. I don't I don't know. I'm just telling you that's what the only number I can come up with. I, I can keep digging. I'm not going to do it for today. No, 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 it's okay. I have a, I have a couple of things. That I want you to listen to something. Um, I want you to listen to something, and tell me what you hear in, in this within this clip. It's it's the clip is called "Listen Carefully." This is the, the somebody describing the a skeleton run on the Olympics. I don't think I could hear what you're. I you didn't hear any of this. Uh, very, very difficult. I, I clipped it down. Very difficult to hear. Yeah, it's hard to hear, but I'm telling you, you something in here. Now, play uh, 
How did this even happen, Flub? And see if this is the clip. I have, I, unfortunately, I mislabeled this one, which is the just the part that I'm trying to get you to listen to. Can go is in Toronto. She no, not that us- one. No, try, try weird Flub. Taxi drivers in France may have won their first. No, that's not it either. Damn it. <laughs> um, I have geez, something. Zoom. Is- how about Zoom zero zero three seven? <laughs> no, that can't be it either. Zoom, I think, is a, is the uh, social media else. report about the Olympics. Uh, so, so, uh, oh, here it is. Selection normalized and and boosted. This oh. is the same thing I'm trying to get you to listen to off this clip. It's looking good. It's looking good. You don't hear him say fucking. No. It's looking good. <laughs> You're looking good. It's looking good. <laughs> we have uh, really? played this to the family, and everybody hears really? the f. Really. God. I can't hear that. Let me listen again. Do you think? It's fucking good. Let's listen. Interesting. W- let's listen one more time. Yeah, I, I'm hearing it. They lap it up. Show me your tits. Yeah, I heard it. Okay, very funny. <laughs> So I'm watching the Olympics. I never would have played that unless you brought this clip up. I yeah, very. That's good. I I, I'll try to dig up some stuff like that on you. So let's go with uh, here's what here's why the Olympics boiled down. Play uh, Zoom thirty seven. Hey Meredith, you know those inappropriate selfies you've been sending me lately? (laughs) We're talking about something different altogether here. The selfie is the thing at the Winter Games. The Sochi selfie, yes, it has its own name, popping up all over social media. Here are a couple of them. Two Norwegian athletes going to use their heads and put them together to wish a happy Valentine's Day. How about American slope-style skier Nick Gepper making swift work of his bronze medal fame, tweeting a Valentine to, yes, Taylor Swift. On Instagram, Team USA writer Jamie Anderson won gold this week in slope style, but first she tore up a little fresh powder with some of her friends. And American alpine skier Julia Mancuso lit up Instagram with this cool kind of artistic... Why are you hurting me with this? Yes, indeed. Stick twist playing on the opening ceremony. A look at the medal count shows host nation Russia is in the lead with the United States and the Netherlands not far behind Germany and Norway also in the mix. But you ask, who's winning the social conversation around these winter I'm games? I'm asking. Well, fa- oh, the social conversation? <laughs> tells us I, the- but wait, but wait, Adam, you're asking who's winning the social. I, I'm not asking this. I would, Why I- does this guy assume that I give a crap? I'm very interested in who's winning the social conversation. As a digital prophet, in the mix. But you ask, who's winning the social conversation? No, no, this is, I know who's asking this. The advertisers. They're saying, hey, who's winning the social conversation? Because I want to advertise there. This guy's talking to the advertisers. Ask, who's yeah, winning maybe. the social conversation around these winter games? Well, Facebook tells us the U.S. is clearly in the lead with posts, likes, and updates. Topic number one is figure skating. The United States, though, if you look at the map, does have some pretty decent competition from Great Britain and from Canada. Great Britain's topic of choice is snowboarding. 
But the big surprise, as you look here, is that the Philippines ranks sixth in Olympic Facebook conversation. The Ooh, Philippines figure skater Michael God. Martinez is the country's God. first ever Winter Olympian. And no surprise, it's his sport that is topic number one. Okay. Really, this, this, this was completely unnecessary. This, this is, is on, on NBC. Yeah. This is a major feature. This is dumb. Yeah, well, place to part two of it to see how dumb it really is. <laughs> well, what is, how do you, oh, there's a, there's a second part. Okay. So yeah, after so a week of competition report. Right. and billions of kilobytes of online chatter, we were wondering who. Billions of kilobytes of online chatter. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to write that down. I got billions of kilobytes of online chatter for you, baby, right here in my pants. Gained the most traction on the web. Well, Yahoo looked at the athletes who inspired the biggest overnight spike in searches. So who's number one? Is it Sean White? Not him, believe it or not. Gracie Gold? No, could be her next week. But right now, it's Sage Kotzenberg. His name saw the biggest spike in Yahoo searches. He's gone from a virtual unknown now to a... Do they have graphics and charts to go with this and like arrows? Oh. Oh, yeah, a lot of photos. Everything is... Oh, yeah, this is loaded to the gills with graphics. <sighs> Giant out maps. Kotzenberg brought his followers along for the ride, tweeting throughout his winning day and afterward getting love from all over the world, including this tweet from Kobe Bryant. Wow! Let's leave you tonight with one last word from the opening ceremony. After the cauldron was lit, the First Lady of the United States, Michelle Obama, summed it all up pretty nicely in a tweet, writing, Thanks, U.S. Olympic team, for inspiring me and our nation's kids. Meredith? Brought to you by Visa. Was that a piece of crap? Yeah, it's. I, I told you that I, I, it's, I can't watch it anymore. It's so Facebook and Twitter yeah. plugs up the butt, and and, and when the, uh, the Twitter has really got to be shut down. The Twitter? Ooh, he tweeted this. He tweeted that. Ooh, he tweeted congratulations. Ooh, he tweeted you're ugly. No, I, th I think no. That's I think that's all fine. I think that's really good. This that may, that's actually the Twitter thing. I'm okay with. I'm not. No, I'm okay with that because it's... It, well, I, I know you are. You just people said that. Do. Yeah, but it, it's different. It's a different thing. Who cares? With the, I, I'm, Let me do one little, last little thing here just to get you back on track. You've already so Obama thrown me and off. Hollande got together in Washington, right? Yeah. So I have two very short clips. One is what Obama said to Hollande, and then one that Hollande said to Obama. And I think the contrast is... is, is uh, let's use the word telling. Okay, so we'll use Obama to Hollande first? Yeah, play that and then a break. Okay, and then we'll go to the next one. All right, here we go. Here we go. Standing together and using our freedom to improve the lives of not only our citizens but people around the world is what makes France not only America's oldest ally but also one of our closest allies. Wait a minute. I've heard that line before. Yeah, well, that's what he says. All right. So now here's what Hollande said to him. France and the United States are two countries. <laughs> That's right. And one of them speaks French. Wow. That's what he said. That's what his line was. There are two countries. Well, th all right. you know, this, all, this, all, this visit, of course, comes amidst a lot of stuff happening in Africa. Um, and a lot of it in the French portion of, of the African Empire. Uh, what used to be known as the African empires. And I've, I've, I've done my diligence. I've really tried to look into as much as possible, uh, starting with the drone base that we really knew nothing about in uh, Niger or Niger or making plans Niger. for Niger. Um, and I went back and I found a clip from January of last year 
when the news about this so-called drone base, which now is apparently huge and in full operation, this is how the shill woman from the Department of Defense answered the question about rumors in the press of the drone base in Niger. Uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Dory, uh, it has been widely uh, reported that the U.S. is uh, eager to build a drone base in Niger. Uh, to the extent you can tell us in an open hearing, uh, has that base uh, begun construction or even been completed? Are drones uh, being launched from that base? And uh, how many uh, U.S. Uh, personnel are there? And we know these questions are scripted. I think he did a little too easy on the read there. To start, we do not have a drone base in Niger, um, so hopefully that is helpful. What I can say is that commensurate with the growing threat in the region, Africa Command, as well as the intelligence community, is very interested in increasing resources that are focusing on the region to improve our understanding of what is happening there. And we are seeing a growth what? in, in <laughs> intelligence resources of, of all kinds. So <laughs> this is how you skirt around the question. There's a growth in intelligence resources of all kinds, okay? Uh, to include ISR. What you're referring to, in part, I believe, is news that stemmed from the recent conclusion of a status of forces agreement with the government of Niger. Uh, this is the type of foundational agreement that we pursue in many different countries in Africa that have regular relationships with Africa Command for purposes of, of exercises and other activities. So that, that was what um, made it into the news and then an extract extrapolation about a drone base from there, but we are certainly... A, a news report that was an exaggeration. Uh, it does happen. Unusual. Yeah, okay, so a year later, of course, we know that it's true, and that both of you were just full yeah, of crap. No, can, you, can you remember, this is one of the clips I had on the last show, I believe, about the drone, that brought yeah, up the drone that, base, that's or was what, it the show before? No, the last show, that's why I went in looking for information right, about no, this I drone base. Right, yeah. What, do you remember which clip it was? Um, yeah, I can probably find it. Hold on a second. Um, because uh, I, 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 I was as shocked as you are that we have a base there and is based on this clip. Well, so I, I figured out, hold I on think a it was on Van Cat. I'm just trying to say what the source of this information was because now that it points out an obvious lie, you I think don't it was this build one. a drone base overnight. I think it was this one. Well, the French and African troops do have a mandate from the United Nations to use force if there's a direct threat to the civilian population. So if, for example, a Muslim is being lynched by an... I don't think it's that one. USA in Africa with it. French, maybe it's that one? Let me see. It has several military... Bases. Yeah. So looking at the map then, um, Armin, just remind us where they've cooperated so far and where they may cooperate in the future. Well, they cooperated a lot in uh, Mali uh, because the U.S. had just set up uh, a drone base in neighboring Niger. Yeah, there you go. So that's that's where it came from. Uh, and, and I understand why it's in Niger because that's right in the middle of Mali, as this clip said, to the north. That's where we have the ever-so-dangerous al-Qaeda in the uh, Islamic Maghreb. And then, yeah, yeah, this is, this is yeah, true. I know, it's and funny. then to the south, we have Nigeria, which of course is uh, Boko Haram. But in both cases, it's the I French. Thought Boko Haram was uh, no, they're in Nigeria. Was it Boko Haram, Kenya. They may be there too, but I, th I think their base is in. Or look, all of this is probably made up. I mean, who knows? Yeah, okay, we can go with that. All right. Now, apparently, we also have a drone base in Ethiopia because now I just I started really looking into it. I'm like, where are we? 
in Africa. So we have Ethiopia. We know we have Djibouti. Um, AFRICOM, which is mentioned in my clip, is still in Germany. And this is right. this is what's very strange that we have not... Because you'd think they could put it in Libya or any of these other places that we kind of own. Yes, in Germany. Right. But it's still in Germany. Um, but we have the eyes in the air. We we have the eyes in the air. And, and of course, the only two countries that should... That we need to really be looking at, although it turns out that may not be true is the two on the West Clark 7 list, which would be, I think, Sudan and Somalia. These are really on our on our New World Order list. Uh, but somehow, and and obviously it's it's BP and Total and ELF. Is it ELF oil? ELF, ELF? Is that the, the other French yeah. one? ELF? Yeah, the French one. Yeah, so, so, and if you really look at, you know, at all these countries, you know, they were all run by, up until, you know, like late 60s or 70s by Britain and France. And we really had didn't have a lot to do in there. Um, and, and I'm starting to see that not only are we extracting the minerals, of course, we're, we're extracting Chinese first. Like, oh, hello, Chinese. Thank you for building the road and the infrastructure. Get out. Uh, then we're taking over that. But there's also, and this is what I think the French and the British are seeing, because these countries are growing, there is, uh, there's a huge market now in selling gasoline to African countries. You know, people are getting cars, and they, you know, this, the, the infrastructure is really building there. It's it's no longer just you know uh, jungle bunnies running around chucking spears. You know, there's, there's a, these are real countries with real economies that are going to make a big difference. And I think this everything is shifting over there, not just for extracting, but for selling and building and buying and and doing business. You're gonna get letters for that. For what spear chucking sand bunnies, jungle bunnies? Yeah. I'm I'm making a point. I know that you are, but I but do listeners to the show don't understand how you make your points? Well, then they should. They, oh, I think this is disgusting. Yeah. They're going to gripe. They're going to gripe. I'm just telling you in advance. Well, I don't. So care. I don't want to hear you well, grousing about it. Oh, that's fine. People don't understand that. It's fine. And you can kind of apply this to uh, what's happening in the Middle East. If you look, well, well, hold on a second. Let me help you here, so you don't get these letters. What Adam just did was portray a, a, uh, a stereotype of the African, which is used as a model for the, the elites insofar as their, their predis, predisposed definition of the situation. Yes. A, and that was, would be exactly how they think. And that's what, what he was doing was essentially reflecting that when he uses this, this, this usage. It's, I didn't bother me, but I know that a lot, some people would be upset because oh, they're already on your case. No, it's fine. Every, everybody can be on my case. That's fine. But I'm just saying. I just wanted to because I, I I know what you're doing, and I and the way you do it is is it, it seems it seems it's very elegant actually. So continue. I, thank you. I I am convinced that a large portion, certainly of the American public, but probably the the European public as well. When they heard about the shootings in the shopping mall in Kenya, I have a feeling a lot of them went, what? They got shopping malls in Kenya? I really, right, it's I a really, modern shopping yeah, mall. Yeah, it's very modern, too. The movies from inside, yeah, it looks like any yeah. crappy shopping mall anywhere. Yeah, exactly. They got popcorn. They got a movie theater. They got the, the games out front of the movie theater. Cineplex. Cineplex, thank you. They've got, uh, what's, uh, you know, the, what's the... 
the t-shirt shop where you buy your skateboard hipster gear? Yeah, t-shirt shop is what it was. <laughs> t-shirt shops. It's, it's, well, let me do a little modernized. aside about this. Let me do an aside about this. Uh, for example, in the Asia, they, there's different kinds of shopping malls. And I, one of these guys, when I travel, I don't sit around the hotel. I get somebody to take me shopping. And it's out and about. It's your staff. So your staff. I just, usually not a staff. Usually somebody's hauling me over there for some reason, and I kind of demand an escort to take me to places, unless yes. it's like Korea, which I know the town enough I can just drive. I can get on a bus, and I've done that, and just bus around. But you, there are shopping malls that make many of our shopping malls look very sick by comparison, and some of them are very weird, though. There's a shopping mall, and I believe this is in one of I think this is in... Yeah, I'm trying to think either Jakarta or someplace like that. And it's, it, but the outside of the mall is like they're different. They're like a big – just like the Merchandise Mart in Chicago. It's a big building as opposed to a strip mall. And the building has maybe eight floors of shopping. Mm-hmm. And it's more vertical than it is horizontal because of the space limitations. So the, the shopping mall takes on a slightly different quality. But it's still a shopping mall, and they have the same stuff. They have the same perfumes. They usually have a better selection of Asian electronics than any place you've ever seen, mm-hmm. uh, and cameras, etc. in different colors you've never seen. And they're pretty pretty modern. It's just like people shouldn't be thinking like that, that there's no shopping malls in, in Nairobi. Or, anyway, or, or, no, or any of these countries, really. But that, and that, of course, is the point that I'm making. It's the same point that I make that people somehow, and this is exactly the same. Russia is just filled with a bunch of hairy, fat women with drunken <laughs> vodka slurping yeah. dudes with bear hats on who hate gays. Yeah, well, besides that, though, there's a lot of pleasant Russians. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a little in the morning. In the morning. <laughs> uh, a report came out. Where is it here? I have it here. Um, Americans. Okay, who did this report? Washington, D.C. Oh, I just got to open this up to find out who did the actual report. This is Gallup. Oh, there you go. Gallup poll. Would you say that's reasonably no more corrupt than the rest? I would say it's probably the least of the corrupt groups. Uh, I, I, I like when I see Gallup. I, I they have a, a trust. They're trustworthy in the trust okay. sense. February thirteenth, two thousand fourteen. America's views of Russia, Putin, are worst in years. Clear majority view the Russian president and his nation unfavorably. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. As so the propaganda machine does its job. As host nation, Russia dominates the world stage at the Winter Olympics in Sochi. Americans clearly do not think highly of the country or its president, Vladimir Putin. Putin and Russia scored the highest unfavorable rating, 63 and 60 percent respectively, that Gallup has recorded for them in the past two decades. 20 yeah, years. Good work, good work uh, Human Rights Watch. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what you wanted. Well, there you go. Now, here's what's funny. I, so I'm, I, I don't know why this keeps getting lost in the conversation, cause we, I, maybe because we don't hound on, or pound on it enough. I'm listening to somebody else's podcast, and the, and the guy goes in with this thesis that we have, because I guess it got to him, about the gay thing in Russia is overblown, and the Russians are just what they are. I mean, they're, nothing's, you know, they haven't, they're not going out of their way to do one thing or another about gays coming over to visit Sochi, and Sochi's right. not that big, bad of a, right. of, a, of a situation in reality. And the comment was, well, why would we do that? Why would we, what is the point of making the Russians look like a bunch of saps and creeps? It's always forgotten that the Russians have Snowden. Yeah. 
That's it's what... about Snowden. Give us Snowden. No, not giving you Snowden. Oh, really? Okay, well, here. And that's how it <laughs> here, began. Here, watch this. It's all tracks right back to Snowden. Um, just to show you how great the No Agenda Global audience is, I got a, a tweet from someone who was watching RTL4, which is the commercial um, broadcaster in the Netherlands. And he said, oh, my God, RTL4 on their newscast used the same drag queens for a, a Sochi report as, uh, as uh, NBC used. The same drag queens in the same sorry-ass club with the same sorry-ass story about how gays are persecuted in Sochi. Yeah, it's a package. It's a package, exactly. And it's, I wonder who did the package. Do we know who produced well, it? I'll bet you it was one of these NGOs. I think it's, I, well, I don't think it was a, it wasn't a package per se because the, uh, and it's useless for me to play because it's all in Dutch. Um, the the uh, they had their own reporter there, but I think that they have a liaison. You know, this is part of you know the Human Rights Watch uh, liaison. There, it's like, okay, uh, NBC uh, tomorrow we'll be going to the drag to the uh, to the the Viking Bar, and uh, then RTL we can go on Thursday. Yes, okay, very good. We'll set y'all up. Well, it's not. A, I, I don't mean it's a package by by like a package package where it's a complete product. Right. But one of these, you, here's the B roll, here's the script, here's the kind of thing. You know, one of those things where you can have your local guy doing the report. I think is more common now than a than a pure package that is completely done from beginning to right, end. Right. Right. And meanwhile, I, what I found the real news to be is that Egypt has apparently reached a deal with Russia. For Russian military equipment, which so we have said, uh, you know, screw you guys. We're not going to give you the F-16s. We're not going to give you um, some helicopters. And Russia, Putin goes to Egypt, makes a $3 billion deal, which apparently the Saudi Arabia is going to fund. And no one is talking about this. If I find this, wow. I find this I didn't to get be a this kind either. You got me. I find this to be, you know, something that needs to be evaluated. We, we are giving money... Of course, that's how it works. You know, we give money to Egypt. Egypt then, I don't think they even get Lies a check. our stuff. Yeah, they don't even get a check, right? Don't we just cut it directly to the contractor? I would presume. I'd presume Egypt doesn't get a check or Bitcoin. No, yeah. it's, no. no. They get a bit, Bitcoins. <laughs> One Bitcoin. Um, so now, Saudi Arabia has said, well, you know, we're kind of interested in that Egypt thing over there. We want, because they're always as, as, as involved in everything. And they're going to give $3 billion to the Russians for MiG-29s and MI-35 helicopters, some light weapons, some ammo. And But no, Bob Costas has pink eye. And what are we doing in America, people? What are we doing anywhere with any kind of news? Oh, the Dutch. So, of course, the Dutch are sweeping the speed skating, which, which is great. You know, we have, I think, the men won gold, silver, bronze, women gold, silver, bronze. Putin. This is what Putin's over there sucking up to our queen, our hottie queen from Argentina, and our king, King Pils, who's drunk. This guy's drunk all the time. He's like, ah, I'm at the Olympics. <laughs> it's, it's, and that's all that they can report on. Nothing else is important. It is such a big distraction from reality. But it's hungry. Well, we do the same thing. We're, we watch the reports. They have a guy comes in first, a guy comes in with a great story, a guy comes in second, guy an American comes in third. They interview the American. Yeah, of course. How was it course. coming? How was it coming in third? Was it exciting? 
Yeah, it was yeah, exciting. It was I'm glad I got third. Yeah. Oh, so I think these things. The, 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 yeah. And then, of course, we had the, the hockey thing, which I guess we got a ruling and we beat Russia because of some technicality. Well, it wasn't. No, it wasn't that. It was. Whatever. Uh, Whatever. Yeah, well, the, the the net was out of the hole, and by mm. by rule, you can't. Was, goal doesn't count. It's just a rule. So you think that all of this, that the entire gang up, is only about Snowden? I, I, I think, think so. Yeah. Oh, well, I, no. Well, no, no. Okay. It can't no, be. Also, can't the, be. The, the the Syria. Syria, because Russia. It's a bunch of things, but Snowden yeah. was the was the was the cherry on the top of the thing. Yeah. That's when we let it rip. Yeah. No, I, it's I, like, come I, on. I think it, I think a lot of it has to do with Syria. Because Syria has essentially been saved, if you really want to look at it objectively. The Syrian people, you know, they all would have been dead. All bombed to smithereens like Libya. And you wouldn't have seen any of it if it were not for the Russians. I truly think Russia saved more Syrian people than we're pretending to with sending, you know, al-Qaeda fighters over there. It's just Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think the Russians are full of crap because I've been watching a lot of RT. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're full of crap. I mean, they're they're trying to do the best they can with the propaganda, their propaganda machine, which doesn't even come close to ours. We're so much better. Yes. It's just ludicrous. And and I think they're flummoxed by the whole thing. They're kind of like, oh, God, what do we do now? I don't know. And they just hope to God that, I mean, we're two guys that try to compare notes on these things. And we see what the Russians are up to and our, what our State Department is up to in terms of countering what the Russians are trying to do. Right. And then there's the Chinese issue, which the Russians are also kind of a wild card in that because they're kind of friends with the Chinese, but then again, they're not because they share a border and they really don't like each other. Mm. It's, it's interesting. But yeah, the Russians are outflanked by us by lots. It's, it's got to be frustrating. If you're them, yeah. And I think yeah, that's I think part so. of the reason that Putin's always out there with his shirt off. You know, your president can't ride a motorcycle. Your president <laughs> can't ride. He, you ever see him throw a baseball? He can throw a baseball. All he can do is shoot, shoot a basketball. You know what Big it is? Deal. Here, so thank you for pointing this out. This is, and by the way, all of this could be solved very easily. All Russia has to do is hire the Curry Dvorak Consulting Group. We know how to do this for you. They are using, <laughs> no, they're using... Cold yeah. War tactics of look at my my chest, look at the bear I shot, look at the fish I caught. This is no, you know, you got to do, you have to be way, way, way on the other end of things to impress oh, the yeah. world stage. This is all no, they know they how are, to do. Right. This is all 50s stuff. 50s. It's, thank you. You know, first of all, Vlad has got to, he's got to start speaking English. He's got, and you know, get someone, he's just got to do it. You are behind. You have zero... You need to speak the language of the kids. And that's what and all the kids speak English because that's the popular culture. Just learn a few words, tweet it. We could start there. We can start there. Now, where's Russia's first lady? And we've got Michelle Obama. Excuse me. By the way, this counts. The $12,000 dress, the celebrities at her uh, at the state dinner, this stuff counts on the world stage. Putin, you get your babe out there, get her du- gussied up and some, you know, Tom Ford. You you wear the Tom Ford, give her some Gautier, Gucci, whatever, Versace. You got stores there. You got to get it gussied up, man. 
and start talking. Well, the way I the way I see it, mm-hmm. even though it, it doesn't really work, because after spending fifty billion dollars on uh, uh, gussying up Sochi, uh, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of flack from his political competition as a spendthrift. He's just oh, you guys, he's he's not a he's not a good Soviet uh, or Soviet Russian. Uh, He's he's too flamboyant, which is not true. The Russians mm. actually have a history a with Catherine the Great, Peter the Great, all these the greats, Putin the Great. Uh, they have with all these in the past. They you know they would the French and the Russians are very close to each other uh, historically, and they would always copy each other. The French love the Russians uh, in terms of their art and architecture, and the, it goes the other way. And so they, when Catherine the Great got in, she just built the place up with all kinds of fancy palaces, and 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 before that, they've done this for just. All the time until Stalin got in, and then he just built everything in this kind of let me, uh, let me give you, let me give you an Soviet example block of designs. An example. So on this the ski slope style thing, they have a big babushka doll on the ski slope. The, the nesting doll. Yeah, they need chicks to pop out of that at some point. You know, like babes, not just another <laughs> wooden doll. You know, this is modernize a little bit, people. The thi- well, Russia does have that doll is cool because there's, there's some of the, the stunt guys would bounce they, they off, bounce off of it. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, the well, well, the best thing the best thing Putin has going for him in this fight, America against Russia, uh, Putin against Obama. Yeah, part is clear. It's clearly his his agent of change, Joe Biden. He's working for the Russians. Did you hear what he said just the other day? you have a clip? I do. It always surprises me when we don't have the degree of optimism we should about the state of the nation. And in spite of who's president, in spite of who's in the Congress. In spite of who's president. That's your boss, dude. Does he realize you can't wow. say in spite of the president? That, that He doesn't know a lot. Does he even cool, know yeah. what does he even know what he's saying? In spite, in spite of the president. In spite of president. Wow, Joe. Pick up your ruble check. Well, he's, he deserves it for that. Meanwhile, uh, yeah, they need to upgrade. They got to modernize. Uh, they got to bring it up to the 21st century. That's just old-fashioned stuff. I mean, it's funny for us. I mean, we get a kick out of seeing Putin, you know, doing some dumb things, flying with a, with a goose in a... Ultralight is an example, but yeah, yeah, but no, all, I know. No, all of that is that's it, you're right. 1950s definitely got era. he got definitely j- jobbed on the Sochi thing because when you see that when you watch Russia today's version of the Olympics and they of course they're you know promoting it, uh, they show some stuff though that is like I never saw that like some of the fireworks displays mm-hmm. and some of the, the cute little town that's there and. They just they you know they they're roaming around. It's really quite quite attractive to be a cool place to visit. But I would never get that impression from the, any American coverage. I saw that. Um, let me see. Do I have it here? I thought they were misusing uh, the the global warming in Sochi. You know, because I, I I guess they don't have snow or it's it's above freezing. And there's and uh, so now that's being misused as uh, oh yes well there's global warming and it's ruining the Olympics well it, <laughs> isn't Sochi a place that has palm trees isn't it kind of like doesn't kind of happen there it's a resort town on the on the yeah. on the Balkan or in the uh, was it the Black Sea yes it's a resort town it's a resort village that they built up 
Uh, they're probably going to have a, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with it now, but because of all those extra buildings, but yeah, it's all built up. It's, but it's, it's a summer thing. And so it probably doesn't get that cold. They, all the skiing stuff is 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting a ton of, uh, of course, in, uh, here's the situation in, in the United States, we have the a pretty big cold snap, um, which is not unprecedented, but it's, it's, it's very annoying for people on the West Coast and Southern states. In the meantime, uh, in Europe and the United Kingdom is flooding. Um, the the Dutch claim they have the warmest winter ever, which I also don't think is true. Um, then people are using the example of it being very warm in Australia. Of course, this is their summer. It's exactly polar opposite. Uh, but CBS really is taking this to the max with this uh, you know the Mishu Kaku the 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 crazy Asian scientist guy who they bring in from time to time I think the guy he, with the white hair yes that guy that guy that guy so <laughs> and he is a he's not a, a meteorologist I think he's a he's a physicist physicist right but he is now in charge of propagating the message you need to listen to this report uh, combating the global cooling that we believe we are in Charlie Rose just muttering mm, 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 throughout the whole thing while Kaku is talking out of his butt. As another major storm system hits the south and the east, sub-zero temperatures still grip the Midwest. And western Oregon and Washington state were hit with unusual snow. Northern California just got about 20 inches of rain from a pineapple express. But that state is far from ending its drought emergency. Question about that. When... When do you have enough rain to end the drought emergency? What do you really need to end it in California? I was listening to uh, you. You're, I don't know if you listen to her normally, but I, this, the congressional dish with Jen Briney. Yeah, I, I listen to her, but sometimes I get annoyed by her Obama botism. She's a bit of a bot, but, yeah. that's, but she does go through this stuff, and she went through the farm bill. Yes, I heard and that when one. She did, I realized there's something she talks about, which is the drought uh, uh, funds that if you apparently declare a drought of this any is, sort, this is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, how much money can you get? You get a bunch of money. So yeah. you you're so in California, if it can do it, it just stays in a drought, no it matter how much rain end. it gets. That's what I was thinking. It's a scam. Yes, and it's a federal funding scam. Yeah, it's just a way to get money from the feds. But they have to pretend, you know, oh, God, it's a drought. Oh, right. yeah, and then that gives them an excuse to jack up the rates again. They never lower the rates, by the way. What it is, could be flooding. What do you think Charlie meant by a pineapple express? Is that a meteor- meteorological term? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's uh, any storm that comes in over Hawaii Ah, okay. and then comes up and picks up uh, tropical moisture and drops it in California. is called a pineapple express. So I but so I I keep following this and I also see the the federal register and every single day there's the president signed disaster relief for this state for Georgia for Florida for California for New Jersey it's like billions and billions of dollars and I think you're right as long as you keep claiming it's a drought no matter how hard it rains I mean I'm expecting zero fruits and greens from California this year. You guys must be dying out there. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm talking to you. You must be dead. <laughs> the way it I don't sounds. Know. I'm looking out here and everything looks pretty green. Right. CBS News. Now, here's oh, I was there's gonna... apparently a whopper coming in that's going to drop a couple of feet on us and it, it looks like it's going it looks like the jet stream is shifting enough to bring all this Alaskan air down filled with moisture 
and just flood us. I mean, just nail us. And I guarantee after that's over, it'll still be it'll a still, drought. Still oh, be a it's drought. still a drought. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Here's the rest of this report. Rain from a Pineapple Express, but that state is far from ending its drought emergency. CBS News contributor Michio Kaku is a physics professor. Which means he knows nothing professionally, professorally about climate. At the City College of New York. Good morning. Morning. So what's causing all this? Well, the wacky weather could get even wackier. Wow, that's when I perk up. Holy crap, when did he become a broadcaster in the zoo? <laughs> morning zoo. Hey, everybody, the wacky weather could get wackier. Woo, baby, yeah. Well, Come on, my daddy was a beetle. I don't know why I said that, but that's what they do at the morning zoo. <laughs> my daddy was a beetle. <laughs> what we're seeing is that the jet stream and the polar vortex yeah. are becoming unstable. It, unstable. Woo! Unstable. Instability of historic proportions. Historic proportions. I will give you no backup, no proof, but it's historic, trust me. Now think of the polar vortex as a bucket, a okay. swirling bucket of cold air. Okay. However, the walls are weakening. Yeah. Cold air is spilling. Listen to Rose going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a robot, and he's just lapping it up. Spilling bucket of cold air. Okay. However, the walls are weakening. Yeah. Cold air is spilling out, spilling out over the walls of the bucket. And the question is, why? Why is this polar vortex weakening? This is, this is like romper room. It's a big bucket, but the walls are weakening, and the and the air is spilling over the thin walls. The question is, why? Why? Let's ask Doobie. Doobie can tell us. We think it's because of the gradual heating we up think. of the North Pole. Oh, it's the gradual heating of the North. We think it's the gradual heating of the North Pole. The North Pole is melting. It's melting. Global excess warming. Heat. Global warming. Charlie Rose. Global warming. I just woke up. Uh, Kaku, did you say something? Global warming. Melting. <laughs> you got listen, to listen, listen to Rose in the background. It's hilarious. Global warming. The North Pole is melting. Global that excess warming. heat. This is, this is the programming. See, Charlie Rose is very tired. Very, very tired man. He, he does too much work. He does way you know, too much you have work. To, there's only a few guys. You might just let me go aside for a second. He does his regular interview show, which takes a lot of effort. He's a big staff. He's got to coordinate, and then he's got to talk to all these guys. And if you've done an interview show of any sort over the years, you know that most people are not even interesting. Right. They can't converse. You have to carry the show. It's like a lot of work. And so you get pooped. That's enough work for any one guy, believe it or not, even though it's only an hour oh, a day. Oh, yeah. So. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And it's what, a lot of work. And, it doesn't look like it, but it is. No, it is. And he and, and to do a morning show, which God, means we, you have to get up at four uh, earlier. No, earlier. No, no, he's okay. up. He's up at three. He's up at three, man. Definitely three in the morning. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to prep, and they got to put you through makeup, and then you got to go over the show, and you got and that's an hour and a half show, right? So you got to be lively. So here's what's happening for the housewives. So he is in a constant buzz, coma buzz. Yeah. And and this is what's so beautiful about it because. The trigger words are um, ice is melting, North Pole is melting, the, the pole is warming, and then you can hear him go, ah, ah, global warming, which is what most people are programmed to think. This is, yeah. this is programming in process. It's beautiful. I am Sir Richard Attenborough, and here we see a fine specimen, a specimen known as the morning newscaster. The newscaster. I wish you could find the clip of him where he's making a pass at that woman. 
I have the I have that. Yeah. I have that. We have the newscaster. The newscaster has been programmed over years to believe in anger pressure global warming. That's the stuff that man made themselves. And when he gets the keywords, he literally will wake up and say global warming. Weakening. We think it's because of the gradual heating up of the North Pole. The North Pole uh, is melting. Global excess- warming. Global warming. Global warming. Tell me about this sexuality. It's in your DNA. That's right. <laughs> that is the creepiest clip d- That was Angelina Jolie. Tell me about your sexuality. It's in your DNA. Global warming. Heat. That excess heat generated by all this warm water is destabilizing this gigantic bucket of cold air, weakening this low-pressure region, causing cold air to spill out over the United States. Okay. So that's the irony. That no, it's the irony of, of the bucket and the whatever. The heating could cause gigantic storms of historic proportion. Okay, so the irony is the heating can cause... Gigantic storms of epic proportion. Okay, we get repeat the... that, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, we get the spilling out of the bucket, right? Yeah, because, right. No, I don't get that. This is, when has this happened before, the spilling out of the bucket, right? Okay, we get repeat the... that, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, <laughs> we get the spilling out of the bucket, right? Mm-hmm. So when we see we this snow in the Midwest and the South, why then has California been the driest on record? I mean, look at the snowpack in the Sierras. Any skier knows out there, they have so little snowpack. Huge drought. Because a lot of the weather, the warm, uh, the moisture-laden uh, air, which should go to California, is being diverted into Canada, where it freezes. Oh, yes, finally. Damn Canadians stealing our snow. I knew it. And it falls on your backyard. So in some sense, there's a link between what's happening in California as the jet stream diverts, diverts the, the moisture-laden air over Canada, and then it uh, snows on the, on the United States. I'm, I'm trying to follow you. <laughs> I'm really trying to follow you. But does this explain why Niagara Falls is frozen and why it's warm in Sochi? It's all connected to the same thing, correct? <sighs> okay, it's all... What is that same Get thing? Get this guy off the air. No, no, he's, he's, he's genius. In fact, they're going to compliment him on his broadcast professionalism. It's connected. If you take a look at the jets... Globally, globally, globally. Hello, I'm Charlie Rose, globally. You see that uh, England is flooding right now. Latin America is warm, while California has a drought. We're talking about instabilities caused by the erratic nature of the jets... (laughs) <laughs> stream. What can which, be done about it, Professor? Ah, well, Anything we can actually do about it? Oh. Well, the bad news is that the North Polar region continues to rise in temperature. It seems to be irreversible at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Where is where is the fact Wait. in this? This is just not true. There's not a fact in any of this. This is all supposition and just uh, knee-jerk bullcrap. And I like to ask the question, which I ask every time you bring one of these idiots on here with a clip. I thought I I think the first time I heard it was maybe almost 10 years ago that if we don't do something this year, it's irreversible, we're doomed. The next year, if we don't do something this year, it's irreversible, we're doomed. If we don't do something this year, it's irreversible, we're doomed. Happens all the time. And now it's happening again. When are we doomed? Well, it's irreversible. If it was irreversible 10 years ago, why is it not irreversible? It's always going to be. We're getting near the end here. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Does this bother you? Me? Yes. Yes, we're doomed. We may have to get used to a new normal. Ah. That is a North Polar region that is melting, causing more instability in this bucket, causing more things to spill out, which means more extremes. Some winters could be very mild. Yeah. Other winters could be horrendous. And you said 2014 is going to uh. be the hottest. No, but listen, just listen, just listen it out, man. Listen it out. We have to help people understand that they, that they can laugh about these jabronis. It's on record. Uh, it's shaping up that this year could be one of the hottest years on record. Uh, the decade that just passed, it was the hottest decade ever recorded in the history of science. <laughs> in the history of science ever since bones were invented. Michelle, you know, if this physics thing doesn't work out, you can be a weatherman. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Rose made it funny. <laughs> but there's something up with CBS. CBS is really pushing this right now. And I got an equally disturbing report from the local CBS station. And you know, you, there's all these climate spokes holes that are around. And they all, they're available and they're all professors somewhere or other. This guy, what is his profession? Hold on a second. He's from, I think, Alabama. And his name is Thorell. What is his name here? Matthew Thorell. And he is, uh, he's not a meteorologist. I have it here somewhere. I got, I got to look for what he is. But he, they pulled him as an expert onto a local CBS where they're essentially doing the same package. Um, here, dendrochronology. What's dendrochronology? Well, let's find out. I think that's the study of dead trees, actually. That's probably why. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that's probably why he's involved. Guy has a huge beard, so you know he's hiding something. Hey, welcome back in. The recent winter weather only gives more fodder for those who debate the validity of the global warming and climate change argument. Okay, <laughs> you know where this is going. This is a, oh, yeah. this is the um, the propaganda, the anti the anti pill that we need to spread locally to tell people that this cold weather, it's just part of the heating. And a recent article citing several scientists suggest our planet could actually be in for a global cooling period. Dr. Matthew Therrell is a professor of geography at the University of Alabama. He joins us now live from our Tuscaloosa newsroom. Doctor, good morning to you. Good morning. They ha well, uh, well, hold on a second. You picked this up on a local affiliate in Arkansas or Alabama, I mean? Uh, it's from... I mean, I... Or was this played in Austin? Uh, no, this was not in Austin. I think this is Washington State. Well, they don't have a, a, a... Play that back. There's no way anybody in Washington State has a... Has a let, me, let, me, let me find studio. out. Studio? I could be wrong. Hold on. Let me find out. Uh, let me find out if I can... Hmm... I don't know where this is from, John. Let's listen again. We might be okay. able to figure it out. So let it slide. I'll let it hey, slide. Welcome back in. The recent winter weather only gives more fodder for those who debate the validity of the global warming and climate change argument. And a recent article citing several scientists suggest our planet could actually be in for a global cooling period. Dr. Matthew Therrell is a professor of geography at the University of Alabama. He joins us now live from our Tuscaloosa newsroom. Dr. Tuscaloosa. So where's Tuscaloosa. Alabama, Tuscaloosa, okay. Alabama. So it's an Alabama report. No, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. Good morning to you. Could be. Good morning. Could be Birmingham. Uh, it seems like it depends on who you're talking to these days, whether there's a difference between global warming and climate change. Are we talking about the same yeah. thing here? 
Well, essentially, I mean, I think that that's an argument that's sort of in the public realm, maybe in the Internet. But uh, pay attention, John. Just in the Internet. The stupid Internet people think that that's something. Yeah, that yeah. You know, I've noticed that, yeah. Uh, yes. I've yeah. noticed that there are a lot of idiots on the Internet. internet. They, they talk yeah. about stuff like that, but we're, we're yeah. going to be serious here. Yeah. It's not a... It's not a serious. It's it's not an important argument going on in the scientific community. No, no, not in the scientific community, which is different from the LGBTQI community. So, so when we get this harsh winter weather that we're getting now, uh, skeptics though the wonder, how could we be warming up the earth? So, what do you say? I love how he how the package is written. Skeptics say, you know, it's every this whole thing is written so beautifully to. To shout down people. Well, I think that people need to remember that weather and climate are, are different things, and you can never well, take what is convenient for you one weather event and <laughs> ascribe that to global change. For instance, at the same time that we're experiencing really cold weather, it's extremely warm in Australia. Yeah, it's their summer, douche. <laughs> and so you, you can't. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. He's he's literally saying it's warm in Australia. Yeah, it's summer there. Yeah, it's also kind of warm in Panama a lot of times of the year. Yeah, it's very weird that way. And take one event and say that that has anything to do with climate change or global warming even. All right, now, in a Forbes magazine article back in May of last year... This is my favorite piece. Uh, ...they cited noted scientists from Russia, uh, meteorologists from uh, Germany, as saying we're actually entering an era of uh, global cooling caused mainly by two factors. Uh, colder ocean water... What are you doing? I'm clapping. <laughs> Cycling to the top every 20 to 30 years and decrease sunspot activity. So there seems to be maybe some disagreement within the scientific community. Now, how are no. we going to address this? Because this is the nexus. This, I, I think we probably have people in our audience who have seen this report on their local station, maybe with this guy even as the expert. Because what happened is Forbes magazine publishes an article saying it looks like global cooling and they have scientists... Uh, weighing in with their expert analysis, just as good or as bad as the IPCC, really. And this has to be discredited, and this is how you do it. Well, you know, that, that's a good point. That's something I talk with my students a lot about, which is media literacy. And, ah. you know, the first thing I always tell them is to consider the sources. And so, for example, I don't think most people consider Forbes magazine a, a reputable source for climate information. <laughs> and if you look at the particular article that you're referencing, that's an op-ed piece. It's not a journalism article. And um, so, you know, this isn't something that I would consider a, a reputable source for discussing climate change. Well, you know, he, but the scientists, though, he cites in there, they, they weren't obviously commenting on the op-ed piece. They were just mainly stating their data, their, their scientific research. Are you well, disputing their research? Well, he actually referenced newspaper articles that reference those scientists. Okay. So, you know, if you really want to understand it, you have to get to the original sources and, and look at those. I, you know, like I say, it's, if, you, if you're really doing studies on this, like my students would, for example, that would not be a good source to look at. Oh, okay. All right, good. So it's, it's wrong source, wrong scientists, obviously. Yeah, his students would know better. Yeah, kids, students would know better. So the guy so in Forbes better. is an idiot. Yeah. Wow, that was good. I, that's exactly the way to do it. You discredit the source, right? You cut it off at the, you cut him off at the knees. Perfect. And I will, yeah. and I, and I, I do want to say about this whole thing in the UK. Uh, this is not unexpected. What is happening there? And so, you, know, you these guys can say a million times, "This is all freakish," and whoa, who knows? 
But in 2000... Never rained there before. <laughs> yeah. Remember when Britain used to... People would highlight the R, the A, and the I, and the N of Britain. It would always rain. It was just in the 70s. It was like, you go into Britain, oh, rain. Ever hear of London fog? You know, uh, it's just, it, it used to be the wettest place on earth, the way I remember it. Yeah. But I, I have this great um, article about European Union policy introduced by the 2007 Directive... Uh, from the Environment Agency, which was, I think, introduced but published fully in 2008, which then sought to increase the frequency of flooding in this exact area. Um, They knew this was coming. They knew that they could either make space for water. This is all Agenda 21 stuff, by the way. All of this. All of this, this, this ludicrousy of not building up resistance to this area. The whole point is to have these homes wash away. I'm, I'm quite convinced about it. When you read this article and you see um, how this, this, this area of the UK was really meant to be managed to flood. And all the documentation points towards it. And now all of a sudden where people are bitching and moaning, they bring in the Dutch who are just pumping it out with their, you know, this is what the Dutch do very well. And, oh, yeah, maybe we should, uh, you know, put some strategy in place. But I, but this is not unexpected. This this has been known since, you know, almost the mid-2000s that this, this area was going to be flooding. And, and now Cameron just walks around pretending like, I don't know, oh, whatever. Oh, yes, we'll help them all out. It's very disturbing. Well, since we don't have, we haven't had any major kind of, even though I still think there's one coming, conflag- conflagration, in other words, World War Two, where you got to bomb out all this old stuff, kill a lot of people in the process, yeah. but you get to bomb it out and then rebuild this in a modern, yeah. you know, with yeah. m- modern facilities. Yeah. There's, you got you still got to get rid of some of this crap. You mean people crap? Or, Even though or? to you and me, it's not crap. It's beautiful stuff that could be modernized. Yeah. Or it's, it's, yeah. it's, but no, no, that's not the way anyone else thinks. Uh, Americans kind of think like that because we don't really have anything old. But they have stuff from you know the 16 and 1700s that is just falling apart. They just but you can't just tear it down. Many of it's got these right. you know special designations. Yes, exactly. If you got a special designation place, it, it, you'll start to hear reports, and I, I've already started to hear them. I didn't think about it until you brought this theory up. You start to hear reports of, oh, it's such a, oh, that was the, one of the most famous places. It was famous, and it was it was protected, and now it's washed away. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed this? Yeah. Yeah, there'll be a bunch of famous places that are ruined, washed away, gutted. I mean, because, you, you know, in other parts of the world where there's a lot of famous old cool stuff like Syria, you know, we just rubbleize that and nobody gives a crap. Oh, the best part was Iraq when we, we had the Sumerian tablets and all that. Hey, what is this clay? What is this crap? Let's get out of here. <laughs> what is this clay? Just Time to clean up, kids. <laughs> sweep up the clay shards, people. This is no good. And, and the crazy thing is that this, what is happening right now this uh, this global warming making it very cold is pretty much the exact script for the day after tomorrow. Do you remember this? Uh, no, movie? I noticed that this this movie was this was this when was this was this two thousand three or four? I think this this movie came yeah, out. I don't know. Let's look it up. And the whole idea was you had this professor and he went to the United Nations. He said, "Oh, you know, because the polar ice is melting, we're going to freeze down here." And everyone laughs at him. Two thousand four. Okay. It's pretty yeah, much ten e- years ago. Yeah, 
Hey, 10 years have passed. Let's go with this script. Yeah. <laughs> Vince, I think not. Exactly. No, well, exa- it is the It is the it script. Is the it? it is this story. It is exactly yeah, this except, story. Except we do not see Grand Central Station under 500 feet of ice. But that's okay. Not yet, but stand by, baby. I'm going to show my support by donating to No Agenda. Imagine all the people who could do that. Oh, yeah, that'd be fab. We do have a few people to thank, and let's begin with Van Klitschka. Klitschka. Not Klitschko, Klitschka. Von Klitschka. In Salem, Oregon, uh, 150 bucks, and does have a note I'll read in its entirety. Thumbs up. Road Wolf in uh, North Tonawanda, New York, $111.11. And he wants Naomi on the stage. We'll bring her out when we do the next, when we open, reopen the club, which is in, down for repairs, by the way. Oh, when, when, is, when D- is it expected to open up again, the club? I don't know. You know, the, <laughs> the DJ thing fell over because it was poorly constructed. We had some Chinese guys come in from, uh, okay. and the welds didn't hold, yeah, and yeah. the whole thing fell apart. And now we got to rebuild it with American labor. Okay. Oh, that'll be expensive. Not, yeah. And since there's nobody that can really do that job anymore. Dean Weisner in Lubbock, Texas, $111.11. He says it's time to show a little Valentine's Day love to the best podcast in the universe. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you want to give him, he's got the 110. You want to give him a uh, relationship karma on the fly here? Oh, for his possible future girlfriend, Megan? (laughs) Really? Yeah, this guy needs help if he puts that in. Sounds like it. You've got karma. Okay. All right. All right, uh, Jim Zucal in Los Angeles, California, $100. You guys are the best. Cheryl Draper, $100 from Draper, Utah. She must own the town. Hmm. Sherry. It's Sherry Draper. Sorry, Sherry. Rick Olson in Ellenburg, Washington, $100. By the way, I'm sorry. You just need to break for one second. Sherry Draper, you know who she is, don't you? No. She's the, she is the rain stick goddess. Oh, she's our rain stick woman, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, shake away, she says, rain stick sherry. She wants a de-douching I, and some well, rain stick I'm sorry, I don't karma. remember. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry but I screwed that up. I want to de-douche her and give her the... There you go. <laughs> You've been de-douched. Well, Sherry, you, you truly are uh, the magician because it's because of you California now has rain. And unfortunately, this is true. due to our poor... Uh, uh, skills, we were a little rusty. We flooded Ireland, but uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Sherry. Rick Olson, Ellenberg, Washington. I have a note, but it's just a, it just says hi. We're doing a great job, and he really appreciates the show. Hunter Polsma in Brunswick, Victoria, Australia, eighty. James Scherer in Spearfish, South Dakota, seventy-five. Armando Guerra, Buda. <laughs> Texas. This is uh, this Comes is with 69, 69. This is uh, this is uh, Armando, the mail carrier. Oh, you're Armando. Yes, he's in Buda. Yeah, that's nice. It's beautiful. Did you call him on that thing you left in your box and grill him? <laughs> I we saw him the other day and we stopped for a quick chat and then as we were driving off, I'm like oh, completely forgot to ask him if he did the. Hillary, he, I don't, I don't know. He's, he's, he's a mysterious guy. I, I don't know. Armando's mysterious. I, I think it's be- some things just best left unsaid. Dennis Cruz in Beaverton, Oregon. 
the 69, 69. These are, these are all 69, 69s. And we'll give him a karma at the end. Alan Smulling in Cranston, Rhode Island. Stephen Pelsmachers is back with 6969. I think... Uh, Bel- the, the Grand Duke, our only one and only Grand Duke. Yeah, it doesn't... I think regardless of donation amount, he always gets his jingle, so... My lords, dames, knights, slaves, and elites, please be upstanding for another donation from the Grand Duke, Von Pelsmachers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sir yeah, we, do, we have to always read his note. He says, ITM, gentlemen, Valentine's Day seems to be a good day as any to ask for a swazzle enough karma for all the producers of the best podcasts in the universe. No, so. Right. That's fine. Everyone will get some. Imagination, Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, Max Wyndham in the Woodlands, Texas. 69! Where's the Woodlands? I have no idea where the Woodlands is. Well, there's probably some trees there. <laughs> Michelle Holman in Novi, Michigan, 69.00. Victor Person, $60 in Ronaby, Sweden. First, first time, time donor. donor. Uh, Josh McDonald, Brunswick, Victoria, Australia. Another, uh, you know, there's people up there. I'm sorry. Chris Slowinski, our old buddy in Sherwood Park, Alberta, where all the money is, $50. Philip Meeson, these are all 50 Welsh Pool Pows. In the UK, I think and that's finally, Sir, Sir uh, Philip Meeson as well. Isn't Sir, Sir Philip Chris? Meeson, sorry. Yeah. Who, who commonly sends us long notes to lecture us about the way we should uh, treat the Christians. <laughs> okay, yeah. And we pay. We read everything anyone sends us, by we the do. way. And, and Philip is a, is very, a very smart guy. Vocal. Beverly Tanner, Whittier, California, is our last donor for today's show, uh, 592. And I want to remind people to go to Dvorak.org slash NA for 593, which is an interesting number, I guess, but because they take the 5 and the 3 and add them together, you get one number less than 9. <laughs> wow. It's the best I could do. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. nothing there. It's an uninteresting number. Uh, the good news is it's only seven episodes away from the Big 600. Uh, we have the special producer Big 600 Club. Uh, but really, anything you can uh, help us with is appreciated at any level. And also, your information is highly appreciated. The the feedback is the feedback loop is 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 it's intensified. It really has a, a lot of great information coming in on and all fronts, and that is appreciated. Thank you very much for being producers, our executive and associate executive producers, and super no and special executive producers all got the credits on the homepage. Uh, on the show notes page, and of course, we appreciate all other donations as well. The five dollars a month that all makes a difference. The eleven, eleven, the thirty threes. It is appreciated. Thank you very much. Dvorak.org/na. got Hunter Poolsma, who turned 22 on the 11th, and Britton Johnson, who wants to congratulate Thorin, who celebrated on Valentine's Day on the 14th. Happy birthday from all your friends here at the best podcast in the universe. It's your birthday, yeah. And uh, I'm, even though it didn't quite show up on the spreadsheet as such, I'm just going to presume that uh, Grant Siner and the Kraut brothers have their accounting in order, John. So, uh, uh, no, if that's okay with you, I just like to do the nighting show. Uh, I, I take their word for it. Uh, we don't. We have too. yet to see the criminal element amongst our producers. <laughs> By the way, the Kraut brothers. I think we can elevate them to be the new Koch brothers. I like the idea because it really the Koch brothers is just a meme. 
No, it, yeah, they don't. What do they do? They actually most of their money goes to operations like PBS. Ironically, yeah. And and if the Koch brothers were walking down the street, no one would recognize them. So why don't we just pretend the Kraut brothers are our Koch brothers? Okay. And they're they're evil, and they're funding <laughs> the our, evil Kraut brothers. The evil Kraut brothers, yes. And they're funding our our our, our anti science agenda. Yes. And Science. Yes. <laughs> Science. Science. All right. Grab your blade, John, because we got two of these guys to, tonight. So if you, there you go. Perfect. All right. Crap Brothers, step forward, both of you, and Grant Siner. All three of you have uh, really supported the No Agenda Show, best podcast in the universe, and we appreciate that. And welcome you to the Knight and Dame Roundtable. I hereby pronounce thee Sir Grant Siner and... Sir Knights of 89th and Bluegrass, the Evil Kraut Brothers, all of you here at the No Agenda Roundtable. For you, hookers and blow, Red Boys and Chardonnay, Cuban Cigars and Single Malt Shots, Hot Pants and Booze, Longhead Heavy Metal Guys, and Whiskey and spikling, Sparkling Cider Escorts, Mutton and Mead. I've had too much of it. The bong hits and bourbon must be working on me. And go to noagendanation.com slash rings. Um, and of course, uh, the evil Kraut brothers will uh, re- uh, each receive a ring, obviously, since they're in this together. Did you get a note from them, by the way, about the bread? What bread? Yeah, okay. Oh, uh, one of them is in the bread business. They're going to send you bread? <laughs> yeah. They offered you too. Well, I didn't see the note about bread. Uh, they uh, make bread? They're bread makers? One, one of them's a bread guy. I don't think he's a. Is I, it or he's like a commercial bread guy? Like big bread guy. Big bread. I think big. I think, I it's think like it, big egg. Like big data. Only big bread. Big data. Big bread. <laughs> yeah. So he makes like yeah. uh, like uh, balloon bread and those types yeah. of things. It's commercial. The, the evil Kraut brothers and their bread empire are fund <laughs> are funding our fossil fuel agenda. <laughs> yeah, obviously we're we're obviously <laughs> we're all in stooges for the fossil fuel industry. <laughs> that's why we're so even though rich. all we promote is uh, nuclear, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Hey, tell me about, um, in the newsletter, you wrote something about the unions and the wages and the minimum wage, and you were going to bring that up on the show today. So I, I'm reminding you to do this. That's your fantastic setup? You didn't like it? <laughs> That's okay. No, I would. I thought one of the news items of the week that we didn't discuss much, I mean, especially when you compare it to, play this clip, because this compares the way unions go in the United States of America with the way they go in France. Play Uber in France. Okay, dokie. Taxi drivers in France may have won their first fight in a long fight battle. The government has suspended new registrations for private chauffeur services like Uber. Paris made the decision until it finishes talks with unions representing taxi drivers who have been striking since Monday. The crucial stumbling block is taxis require a license that costs more than 200,000 euros, while private competitors have no fee. She had a little flub in there, by the way, that was interesting. I think it's under weird flub. Can you play that? Mm-hmm. Taxi drivers in France may have won their first fight in a long fight battle. The government... <laughs> yeah, fight, fight, battle thing. This is like neuro-linguistic programming, but probably just a flub. I did follow... Um, I signed up for Uber. Uber. I got the app. I've never used the service. But the JC uh, Buzzkill Jr. uses it daily. So I um, I got the app and then immediately I'm getting spam from them and news articles and um, and I did read about 
I think a cab driver beat up an Uber driver or something. This happened weeks ago. This is not this yeah, is not yeah. fresh. Okay. It happens. All right. I think it may have been the Lyft guys though, because the Lyft guys go around with that big pink mustache on their car. And they are slightly different. They're more visible, and they get harassed more because of the big pink mustache. But it's part of the and this. It's a different system. When you go on Lyft, I wrote a column about this because I was fascinated by it because JC uses it. Uh, but when you go on Lyft, you have to be a conversationalist, and you and, you, and the, the, oh, the and so drivers. Oh, that's a backup. Lyft is an Uber-like service because I have no idea what you're talking about. I think it. I think it was. I think it might even predate Uber. Mm. Uber's a little more polished, a little more venture capital, a little slicker, a little better cars. Lyft is really pretty much anybody, and and the, the, and it has a different model. And you pay, uh, you don't pay a fixed amount. You pay what you think the guy deserves. Oh, value so for it's value. A, it's, a, it's value for value. And so what happens, though, is that the Lyft drivers and you rate each other after the ride is over. This, so the, I, so I the believe Lyft drivers rate you as a customer. Yeah. No, I believe in this. I think this is the prick. future. Yeah, no, this is yeah. the future. Puked in my car, yeah. smelled like crap, yeah. you know, annoying, talk to me the right. whole time. Right, so but. you, right, you, you rate each other before you receive each other's ratings, too, so you can't, you know, lowball the guy. Right. And so he'll say that you, this guy stinks and he's, you know, whatever, that you as the customer, or that you can say the guy's car was a piece of crap and I would never be in it again. I give him one star. Mm. And it would you, but you can get blackballed. You can, as a driver, get blackballed with too many of these, you know, negative reviews. And you can also get blackballed as a passenger. Mm. It's very interesting and, and more, I think it's slightly more advanced in some ways, but Uber is more popular and it's trying to go all over the world. So they go to France and of course they, this is where you will get beat up because the French have these great, I mean, these unions in France, these taxi drivers didn't just go on strike. They went out to the main freeways and just, you know, five across, just stopped dead a right. hundred deep. Yeah. 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 Well, the French, do, we don't no, do, we don't do that. We are so anti-union now in this country. And I was thinking about it because they had this VW plant that tried to go UAW, and the UAW is a dying union. I was a member of that union in at least two different locals. Now, let's, let's talk about what actually happened. So we just set this up for people around the world. So the, um, the United Auto Workers Union wanted to unionize at the Volkswagen plant in... Charlotte, I think, North Carolina, North Carolina okay. or, or Arkansas. I can't remember exactly and where. what happened. But it's in the, in the south where they're generally anti-union. Okay. And they voted, they thought they were going to win, and without a lot of real pressure to not make them vote no, they voted no anyway, and that was the end of it because UAW has been trying to get all these these so-called, uh, they're, they're c- companies that come in from, like Volkswagen comes in and builds a factory because it's cheaper. And uh, Honda's got factories down there. Toyota's got factories. And so the, these import cars that you buy in the United States generally aren't really imported. The only thing imported is the factory. Well, the way I see it is that I've, I've come to the conclusion, the only reason I wanted to bring this up was I think that unions have outlived their usefulness in this country. I think they work fine in socialist-oriented company, countries like France where people actually get a job as a taxi driver, take it very seriously. They spend $200,000 for a license, and they do this for the rest of their lives. They're not trying to be, you know, in the United States, we're all thinking, ah, I'm going to quit and get get some financing from venture capital. Right, and I'm going to yeah. start myself a mud pie company. Yeah, yeah. We have all these, you know, these these outrageous uh, dreams that have been kept alive by the BS in the media, and so I think the, the only I think the future for unions in the United States is over. I think they're all dead, and I think that the model is actually the for success in terms of worker uh, 
participation in so far as and by participation i mean have some thing to do with whether you like working or whether you you know you have a job and you're being mismanaged by people how do you deal with it if there's no union i think the model in silicon valley which is to just give you a piece of the company so you're you're essentially read into the company and if you get mismanaged you can you have some sort of recourse as a part owner i think that's totally the future because the results of that model, that Silicon Valley model, where everybody gets a piece of the action, has people working 16 hours a day. It's outrageous because of the, the, the carrot at the end of the stick. And that just seems like the future in, such a, in so many ways. I, I just, I've never seen anything work like that that works so well. I'm, and you're part of that system. I am? Well, you were in startups, and you've seen these guys kill themselves, you know, on the front lines for the, oh, the employee. Yeah, yeah. That- yeah. Well, so, so, yes, I agree to a certain extent. I think the startup culture, which is a Ponzi scheme. Uh, totally. And, and you are, of course, you're projecting uh, your, on your own family. So you see Buzzkill Jr. busting his ass 20 hours, 16 hours a day. And, yes, yeah. he's in a startup, so he has a piece of the Ponzi scheme. Um, yeah. But once the once this uh, this level moves up, i.e., they're bought by somebody, which would usually be a you know a Google. That's pretty much what everyone's looking for, and that's what the the angel investors and even the A round investors get in for is for that big pop. Everyone after that is is slave, but but get slave wages, and you get this big promise of options. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, take these options; they'll be worth something someday. And when you leave, you got to buy them. Um, so it's a Ponzi scheme and a scam. And I actually like what you were talking about, the Lyft model. That, I believe, is the future. The problem with, with all these companies is the company itself. Who some like It's the same with Patreon, this value for value for the arts. Everything about it is right except for the fact that there's a company in the middle. That's the one thing that is unnecessary. I'm sorry, say that again, that everything's right, but what? Except for the company that's running the service. Mm. There's no reason we have to have companies that are going to take all this money and create the, and essentially um, take the value to enrich themselves. There's no reason. If you run it like a co-op, where really, what do you, what do you need in, when it comes to infrastructure to run Uber, Really? It's, you know, it's server infrastructure. That's a co-op thing. But instead, they are, they're creating all the value and keeping that for themselves. I love the mutual um, reputation systems. And there will not be a single person who doesn't buy a car in the future that, well, there will be people, but I'm pretty sure you and I, John, will buy cars based upon the model that this thing is sitting there 70% of the time, and I'd be happy for people to use my car and pay me for it, as long as I know who they are and I can check up on the reputation system. But that doesn't, this whole idea that that has to be a company every single time, that's monetizing the network, and it's proven time and time again. It's limited, and it works great for the big scams, you know, the GeoCities, the AOLs, the Facebooks, the Twitters, they will go away. Every single one of them, you know, MySpace. Well, no, I now I'm going to – I can't disagree with this because this is a basic thesis of yours that has never wavered. And I can see where you're coming from with this again. 
And, and I have to agree because I think a better example of that is something extremely successful that doesn't really need any sort of centric corporate entity Whoa, is on. LinkedIn. Sorry. LinkedIn. Yeah, you mean saying LinkedIn doesn't really need to have a central system or a central company? No, I don't see – I mean, I know what they're doing. They, they're the ones that created the network, and yeah. then they created this – but why? I mean, why can't that be an open source thing just like you're describing exactly. for everything else? Exactly. Well, and this is why when you have a system like RSS that these companies set out to destroy it. This is why Google turned off Google Reader because they saw the writing on the wall. Hold on a second. Everybody poops an RSS feed out of everything these days. We have to stop this. That is that would that could route around us being the connector. That's exactly what that was about. That's why Twitter doesn't support RSS feeds anymore. That's why Facebook barely they had some little support. They are uh, shunning, but even worse, they get their corporate shills, Mike Arrington. And all of CNET, and, and, and you Google RSS is dead. And because these people are maybe even paid, I don't know, to go out and say, oh, that's dead. Oh, it's all dead. Of course, that's a, it's a fun thing to say in tech land. It's dead. Yeah, that's and that, fun. And that was a concerted effort to kill it. And, and, and we will have to somehow come up with, you know, whatever we have to do. But the, you know, okay, the, I, I just went to it. Uh, the number one the RSS is dead. I, I went just Google it. The TechCrunch has the first two articles. Mm-hmm. RSS is dead. Question mark is for percussion dot com. Never heard of them. Mm-hmm. Digital Trend has it. Um, but they're talking more about the Google thing failing and it being alive. It didn't fail. Why RSS it didn't still fail. matters is the verge. <laughs> so there's some fighting going. on. It didn't on. fail. It got shut down. How, I mean, how can, right. how can that have failed? Well, for they Google? claim that's what that no, that's what Google said. <laughs> right, it failed. Unlike what YouTube is making them so much money. No, 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 no. This this is a concerted effort, and I believe eventually, in the long run, they will not prevail. But as you know, but they, but as long as we're teaching children non-keyboard, shiny touch and swipe tablet consumption devices yeah you know it's going to be difficult but i've i've really turned my social network is much more email now and and somehow the idea of hashtags in the subject line really stuck with people they're really using that a lot and and it was funny about that if you remember when that first showed up uh twitter was dead set against the idea it wasn't something they dreamed yeah exactly even the retweet, RT, even that is it was a user-developed thing. Right. But if I just look at my email right now, I have uh, number two, uh, hashtag Snowden effect. Uh, third email, hashtag Africa, hashtag NGO. Then I have six, is hashtag Turkey. So what's happening is because people are used to the idea of a hashtag, I'm finally getting descriptive subjects in my email. And email is a beautiful social network. You know, I can block people. I can put them in the spam bucket. I can auto auto reply. I can do all kinds of really interesting things. Yeah, it's it's work, and it's you know there's others. It's a lot of it's mixed up, but at least no one owns me. 
I don't know how we get from there to unions, but you're I, right. I don't know either. <laughs> well, it was a good. It was a very well uh, done. Uh, <laughs> Whatever happened. Series of segues. Somehow we talk about bitching about RSS being not dead. I have one more thing I want to bring up. Just uh, I thought was interesting. Okay. Uh, this is the because as you know, and most of the listeners who've listened to the show for a while know that my thinking is that by 2020 there'll be a civil war in the EU. Which will result in the same old, same old battle between would, uh, would Germany you, and France. Would you mind if we just move that to 2030, just to propagate our 2030? Oh, for the club? purposes of our of our gimmick, yes, yeah, just just make it 2030, and that also gives you a little yeah. bit of room. Well, I could I could say that it'd be there'll be a skirmish in 2020 because something's going to happen, and then the World War, the big one, because like the the First World War was just like a opening salvo in the big one. Ten years later, you know, it, it happened. Works fine. Works fine. Okay. okay. So by 2030, yes. German roots of dissent. This is the beginning of the end. Uh, Is this a clip I'm supposed to look for? Yeah, it says German roots of dissent. I'm sorry. I saw. I got it here. Gave me the name Anna and who didn't want to be identified. Told me how grateful she is for the help the food bank provides. I have everything here. Eggs, even fish, bread. The little things make a big difference. The money I get from the state goes to keep the power on. At most, I have 150 euros a month. I'm very happy to have this. Because of this, I can buy clothes and live. Some of those receiving handouts accuse Germany's politicians of caring more for wider Europe than the German people. We're part of Europe. We help you. Why don't you help us? We have hungry kids, but the government says we should help immigrants, take more of them. We have to close the open door. Charity organisers say that they've seen a change in the demographic of those coming to them for help. We've noticed an increase of older people, which is unbelievable for us. Traditionally, old people in Germany wouldn't ask for free food. Now they have no alternative. So we see more people whose need has become stronger than shame. Yeah, this is, this is happening everywhere across Europe. Yeah, and this is thanks to Bill Maher, by the way. So, well, he's just a jerk. <laughs> so, going back, this is the overriding situation in Germany is this clip, which is Germans on wel- uh, welfare. And the numbers are kind of interesting. Business is booming in Germany, but under the surface, there's a surprising number of people failing to get anything from it. We still have six million people on long-term unemployment benefits. That means almost one in ten households live on welfare. In fact, figures from the German Office of National Statistics and Eurostat show that just over 16% of Germans are at risk of falling into poverty. Compare that to the situation in France, the Czech Republic or the Netherlands, and you see that more people can potentially slip through the safety net in Europe's economic powerhouse. This has seen more and more Germans turning to charities for help. This food distribution centre... Yeah, we're seeing this in the Netherlands as well. The, the food banks, are the, it's really the big thing. It's where people are just going to get food. Yeah. And, uh, no, it seems to be an epidemic throughout the EU. So, but, but the numbers, at least that they presented on this report, which I think was on RT, or, or I think it was on RT, but it may have been on Van Cat. So they're, re- sure. they're really looking at a 14 to 15% unemployment rate. 
if every one in yeah. 10, something like a that, real, maybe even higher. Yeah. A rate of about 16, yeah. maybe. So what happens? What happens when, so we have all of Europe, the real unemployment, if, you, if you're looking at the, let's just, we'd say youth unemployment, maybe 40, 50% in some countries. Um, you in know, Germany, the, too, is pretty yeah. high. So what, what, I mean, this can't be hard to look at and predict nothing but darkness what what is going to happen i mean what is going to happen what, is it is this because we have the industrial um t- uh, period is over and we just have a bunch of people who don't fit in with the new you know hipster model i mean what is going to happen where are the jobs yeah. going to come from for these people they're not so so then we need to have a war yeah that that is what the elites have always done. Yeah, they got to wipe these people out Isn't, because they've already restructured the whole world essentially. So that all the manufacturing is in China, yeah, in parts right. of Mexico and here and there. I mean, it's scattered around, but China's the ones who got their fancy factories that can really crank stuff out. I mean, they're um, astonishing. Right. Well, so and, so the, and, we but could, you have all these. There's no more factories. There's no more work. You know, I always. Reminisce. I tell stories about when I worked at a factory. I worked at a bunch of factories. I had when I was in school and when I was in high school, I was summer jobs. I'd come out with a lot of money. Kids were buying cars with their own money uh, because they what they could do in the summertime. We saved our we saved our our money. And you could do all that. You can't do any of that now, and you can't lecture people about it, and you can't listen to right wing talk shows. Oh, go get a job. Go get a job doing what? McDonald's, you have to wait in line to get a job there. And that's all you're doing is taking the lowest possible wage. You're not making anything at that place when you used to work at a factory and I hear, make I hear, real money. I hear Costco is a great place to, to work. Costco, right. That's what the Go president said. Go to work, try to get a job at Costco. You yeah, can't do good it. Good luck, yeah. Well, then I would say the only other way to do it is we have to have some kind of pandemic. We have to kill people in another well, way. Well, they've tried to do that with the slipping in the bird flu. Vac- Remember that one? That's my favorite. Well, he, let me... Here's one. So... This is a report, um, the, Lance, the Lancet, the La- I would say the Lancet is, when it comes to medical information, it's highly regarded. Lancet. Is it called Lancet? I said Lancet. Yeah, the Lancet. Yeah. Lancet. The Lancet. Uh, this is what everyone points to when they say vaccines are safe and, correct? The Lancet. Am I wrong or... or, or do you know anything about the... The Lancet record? is one of the great medical journals, yes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, new report, which came out on February 15th. Neurobehavioral effects of developmental toxicity. And I have this report in the show notes, uh, uh, 592.nashownotes.com. In 2006, they did a systematic review and identified five industrial chemicals as developmental neurotoxins. Uh, we postulate that uh, people should never be exposed to these. Un- these chemicals should not be presumed safe to brain development uh, at any time. These include, I'm going to try and read some of these, uh, lead, obviously, methylmercury, polychlorinated biphenyls, arsenic, and to- toluene. Since 2006, epidemic... Epidem- <sighs> Epidemiologists. Epidemiological studies have documented okay. six additional developmental neurotoxicants. So these are six additional ones that you should not have anywhere near you. 
They include manganese, chloro, yeah. chloropyrifos, dichlorodiphenyltryctolotholethene, two others I can't pronounce, and fluoride. Oh. And what do we see here on the first thing that we see in the news regarding fluoride? <laughs> yeah. Ongoing. Finally this week, some new advice for parents. The American Dental Association says that a tiny bit of fluoride toothpaste should be used to brush kids' baby teeth as soon as they come in. <laughs> John, I think a lot of parents normally try to avoid this because they're worried their little kids might swallow this. So why did the ADA make the change? To kill them. That's why. To kill these <laughs> kill. little children. Give them fluoride. Because it turns out that a lot of kids are getting cavities. 40% of school kids. And the more cavities you have as a kid, the more likely you are to have cavities as a grown-up. Which is also absolutely not true. It's behavioral. is not medical. They are literally promoting a neurotoxin that hurts your brain as per the Lancet, promoting that for two-year-olds. Yeah, that's probably not a good a, a good thing. No. Best part of waking up is fluoride in my cup. I find it fascinating, and this has to be part of this part of the idea. But we can't. The war no. is messy. Why don't we just poison the kids? Just poison them to death. Yeah, it's this, 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 you know, the thing is, it's going to be developmental. So the kid's still going to grow up. He's just going to be dumb. And it's, it, which makes it easier to kill him in a war. But I think that there's going to have to be some, <laughs> okay. some it's just, it's, it seems like, you know, it's, it's kind of insincere. Uh, it's an insincere it's this, attempt. You this mean? is a big, this is going to be a, there's just nothing, unless they come up with something, some invention. I don't know how you can do it. There's no jobs. No. There's not. And it's I, all, I, all the countries that have done, you know, kind of eking through this uh, economic situation are doing it through financial services and services, hmm. you know, service industries and all that sort of thing. I mean, around here, yeah, there's there are a moderate amount of, of uh, industrial operations here and there. I mean, there's paint mixing place down the street. The Bayer's got a facility in Berkeley. Uh, there's a, they still make a lot of stuff here and there. There's small. I think there's going to be a lot of craftsmanship stuff that, that will keep people busy. There's stuff like, you know, completely off the offbeat new media stuff that we're doing. Right, right, right. Uh, which is not even on the list of things to do for anybody. And, yeah, no, it's going to be a huge war, and it's going to take place in Europe. And you're thinking same actors, Germany and the rest? Germany and France. France, really? It's going to be interesting to see how it breaks down, because, you know, you always end up with the British getting involved because they can't keep out of anything, and so they'll get involved with the French. And then the Germans, will, because they're more talented at this sort of thing, they'll start kicking their ass, and we're going to have to get involved to save it. Or, or there's going to be all these other countries, and I don't know what the Russians are going to do. Well, I, I know they're freaked out about everything, so they... Uh, if, if, we, if we believe in Smed, Smedley Butler's war as a racket, then this is the only logical way to go, because that's how money gets created, industry comes back, and every, everything... It takes a while, and it's messy. I'm going to have to get some a clip of this or do a scan it in or something. But in in one of uh, uh, William Manchester's books, where he discusses the beginning, of, mostly it's about Roosevelt, and he discusses the beginnings of World War II. 
and he has stats on how many planes and ships we had and then how our manufacturing cranked up and then what it was like two years later. Right. It's it it makes your hair stand on end how we went from this kind of this funky country that was uh, whatever to into the you know we don't even want to get involved Europe's a bunch of a holes we don't want to deal with them uh, to to this <laughs> incredible machine I, I think stinky a holes was what we said the smelly smelly a holes <laughs> and it was like wow you got to see these numbers I'll I'll dig that up why the now book now somewhere. would how about so Middle East will be rubbleized? How about Africa? Are we gonna will we do anything? Will they, can we not just make war in Africa and build that nah, up? There's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. No and, and get, making war in Africa does not really solve Europe's problem. <laughs> Here's the good news. Uh, this is for the book club. After the war, there's lots of fun stuff we can do with science. Does America owe its edge in military technology to Nazi war criminals brought here after World War II? An important new book shows that while part of our technical edge was homegrown, part came from some 1,600 Nazi scientists who tried to win the war for Adolf Hitler. Operation Paperclip explores the secret military program that hired scientists who used slave labor to build the V-2 rocket and others who used concentration camp victims for human experiments. For more, I'm joined here in New York by Annie Jacobson. She's the author of Operation Paperclip, the secret intelligence program that brought Nazi scientists to America. Annie, uh, such a thought-provoking book. You start at the end of World War II when, of course, the Americans and Russians are rushing towards Berlin, and there's a different race going on trying to get a hold of these Nazi scientists. Yes, we were after what were called ABC weapons, atomic, biological, and chemical. I think we nailed it. Yeah. This is good. I, I, this is the first kind of mainstream publication that I've heard about recently of Operation Paperclip. Yeah, it's getting back in the news for some reason. I'm not sure why. Mm, movie? We're just getting geared up. We're trying to get the right mindset. We've already militarized the United States of America by making everyone, you know, go through a rigmarole just before any sort of an athletic event. Yeah, Where you stand over. up yeah, and you yeah. salute the flag and then there's a flyover and, and then there's another. And don't forget the satellite of the troops, satellite shot of the troops in Kandahar. Satellite and they're all waving. Yeah, and there and there's all. Then now the most recent thing is they've gone from uh, in baseball games they start off with the militaristic, uh, which is recent by the way. People should look into this. They weren't doing this around 1920, so they have the you know the national anthem, and then on the seventh inning stretch where they used to play uh, take a break for a minute or two where they refurbish the infield with some scrapers. They used to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It was a tradition. Yeah. They've dropped that in most parks now, and they sing America the Beautiful. So they really? added a second really? yeah, second element of uh, of militarism into the baseball game, which is supposed to be just something you sit in, something that you, you know, lays around watching, uh, which I, th- I found was a little distressing. And you see that a lot, this America the Beautiful. There's no reason for this. We don't need to be listening to the same two songs excessively. You want to do a clip blitz to get out of here, or are you done? What are you? Where are you at? Well, if we do have, a, if you want to hear some, here's hold this on, is hold on, hold on, worth... hold on. We got to set it up right. I mean, uh, let's let's do it. Red thirty three. Clip blitz. Yeah.
Unreported news, Bahrain still going strong. Uh-oh, Bahrain. A string of violent protests by Shia, Muslims in Bahrain, marking the third anniversary of the uprising against the Sunni government. Several injured, over a dozen detained as police used tear gas. Uh, the unrest that began in February 2011 has been violently suppressed, with rather a lot of help coming in uh, from the ruling Maliki's uh, Gulf allies. Yeah. I think we should do like Libya, do a no-fly zone and go go get those Bahrainians. This has been going on forever. It never gets Years. reported in the Years. U.S. media, but it's Years. been going on forever. Yeah. Another non Hold on, hold on, hold on. Another non-reported. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. It's back and forth. Oh, okay. It's not just all you. Man. Red, 33. Clips. Red, 33. <laughs> clip blitz, clip blitz. Syria. It's been a week where there was some rare good news. Food and medicine finally went in to the besieged old quarter of Homs. And more than 1,000 people were brought out during a temporary truce between rebel fighters and the government. But resolving Syria's deep humanitarian crisis needs a political solution. That helped push the warring parties to attend peace talks in Geneva. But the second round ended today in complete failure. Failure! Failure! Everything's failed. I wonder why Carrie's not out there saying, "Hey, I suck. Sorry, didn't, suck. didn't work." What? I mean, well, so remember now that the the chemical weapons apparently were all going to be gone, and you had the Geneva One Protocol, which called for Assad to step down. Then they came back for Geneva Two Protocol. And then the guy said, well, but this is based on one, which means you still have to go. And then Assad said, but hold on, I gave up my weapons. Why do I have to go? And now it's all failed again. So the rubbleization continues. Exactly. Red, 33. Southern Bulgaria hit it. (laughs) All righty. To southern Bulgaria, where far-right protesters clash with police after besieging a mosque. Over 100 demonstrators arrested after hurling rocks and bottles at security forces and smashing the building's windows. A local anger was sparked by a decision to reopen the site as an active place of worship. It had been used for secular purposes since the country became communist in 1944. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bulgaria, let's put it on the list of countries to watch. Rubbleization list? Rubbleization has begun. Red, 33! Facebook kills! Well, what started for some as a drinking game has already begun to claim lives. Four victims so far, all young men. The premise of the game, called Necnominate, is simple. Someone films themselves down in a large drink and posts the video on social media. After that, they nominate a friend to outdo them, and if the nominee doesn't respond, they are ridiculed on their Facebook wall or Bullied. on Twitter. Bullied! It's very difficult in this their personal liberties to say that Facebook shouldn't be condoning this. It should be taking these videos offline. Personally, I'd like to see that happening because, frankly, if the thrill wasn't there because your mates weren't seeing you, I suspect it would very rapidly fizzle out. I think this is another part of, of, a, of a fine campaign. You hook them up with the fluoride early on, then you get them to drink themselves into a stupor in their teens, <laughs> then you get them on the meds and, and get them to OD on heroin in their 30s. Who needs more? <laughs> it does, it's too little, too late. <laughs> All right. <laughs> one more. One My more. favorite clip is this one. Bart cops at work. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
and what Bart is admitting tonight. Kristen? Yeah, Bart's police chief telling us today that the officer who tased a man on the train here at San Bruno Bart Station was doing his job. New cell phone video shows it up close. The Bart officer warns a man of what he is about to do, and then... He tases him. It happened the night of January 29th. Someone called BART police to complain that this man was drunk and harassing riders. When an officer tracks the man down on the train, he repeatedly asks him to get off. Get off the train! Get off the train, sir! The man, who has now been identified as Robert Asbury, doesn't listen, so he's tased once. And minutes later, when he's on the ground, again, for five full seconds. I'll tase him again! As you saw in the video, the officer was extremely patient. Bart's police chief patient. admitted today that the officer patient. who did the tasing is fairly new, but he defended the officer's actions, saying even the second tasing seemed reasonable. I saw the subject still kicking, struggling with the officer. We also showed the video to Don Cameron, a former BART police officer who is now a tactical trainer. I think both tasings uh, were appropriate, simply because they couldn't be handcuffed, you wouldn't listen. You don't listen to me! You don't listen? It's appropriate for me to shoot electricity through you? Board the train that day do not agree. In the video, they can be heard telling the officer that Asbury did nothing wrong. The woman who was sitting next to him insisted Asbury was harmless. He should have complied. But San Francisco resident Benito Taylor told us that does not justify what the officer did next. I don't think the second uh, tase was necessary. <laughs> the guy was already in pain. He was down. Kristen Ayers, KPI. All right, all right, all right. I love that we will have the entire world go into a tizzy over some zoo that killed a giraffe or some stray dogs that are going to be picked up and everyone's all freaking out. But oh, I think, you know, one tase was okay. You know, maybe the second one, maybe, you know, I think it was a valid tasing. You know, I think it's all right. Shoot some electricity through that guy. With hooks, with metal hooks into his skin. You know, I think that's okay. Taser, taser, taser. <laughs> wow. That is a, that by the, the way. guy was, you, the reason uh, I like that clip is because the guy was barking at the guy like the TSA people used to bark yes, at you that yeah. you always bitched about. Yeah. Oh, but it, this, this is the this next step. This was not step. patience. No, this is. This is not patience. No. Get off the train, sir. Yeah. This is the next step. Put your, put your laptop in the thing. I'm going to tase you. Take your shoes off. No liquids. Taser, taser, taser. Shelter in place. Cower in the corner. Well, luckily, those of you listening to this program are going to stop that because you can stand there and just laugh. <laughs> taser, taser, taser. <laughs> yeah. You can just stand there and just laugh and everything will be fine. And you know that you're, they're just, you are just, uh, the whole idea is to just terrorize you and go forth after this podcast and realize that you, you cannot be terrorized. They cannot do it to you because you see the humor. You see the, the, you got to admit it's humorous. It's very funny in a sick way. It is for the sick world. Taser, taser, taser. Yeah. You're not listening, sir. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Hi, 
I, I don't know where to leave you with experience North Korea or the Snowden accomplices. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a little torn. Maybe I'll do both. Uh, hit the both off and we'll finish up. All right. So go to experiencenorthkorea.com. This is uh, oh, our producer. my thesis. Yes, exactly. Our producer, Tony, um, he says uh, he was in Shanghai. And there is a, uh, there's a, uh, let's see. And they went to, he went to a bar with his South Korean friend. And he says these flyers were all over this restaurant or this bar in Shanghai. And it's experiencenorthkorea.com. And there's big big tours. And by the way, it's all in English. There's no Mandarin, so they're not going after the Chinese market. They're going after the American market or English-speaking market. And it looks... Oh, this is getting good. Yeah. I want to see that parade, that big thing they do once a year. That's got to be just worth the price of admission. I'm going. So this is uh, Pyongyang Marathon 2014. Well, the banner on the homepage has that whole... What are the, what are the tours? They have something that... Let's see... Is there anything... Okay, we can go to Pyongyang and surroundings, which you get visit three most important cities of the country, get to understand the country and its society, uh, observe their way of life, or you can do a week in the past, which is 1,900 euros, live a unique experience, explore the world's most hermetic country, visit the country under the purest communism, woo, and then you could do Pyongyang, the capital of communism, that's three days and two nights, I said, think about you know this is going to cost about a grand for some of these things. I think this is you probably could do this trip for about a thousand dollars if you can get there. But I'd like to congratulate you, and I think you can pull this out. I mean, it's fact. You were right on. North Korea wants to be a tourist destination, and and they're marketing. They're actually marketing. They're out there getting getting the word out. I think it's really good. It's fantastic. I think if I can probably put this back about four years when I first bitched and moaned about wanting to drink Bordeaux. And after I saw the Vice thing and they had all these tourist things, even though they're all empty, you don't set up a big tourist attraction because you just want to Kill keep people. it empty. You want to bring tourists yes. in. Yes, yeah, you want it. And it's, I bet it's a beautiful country. I bet it's beautiful. Oh, it's untouched. Yeah. It's the la- they say on this website, isn't it the, final, the last frontier or something? They have some. Yeah, there'd be no billboards, oh, wow. horrible McDonald's signs. There's no McDonald's. Let's face it. Wow. There's no jack-in-a-box. There will be 10 years from now, but right now it's probably pristine. Experience North Korea. The untouched final frontier. It's beautiful. This is great. This is beautiful. So everyone can enjoy that. And then um, and we had a little bit of a, an argument about this. Uh, it appears the accomplices everyone was referring to regarding Edward J. Snowden, known to many in Congress as Edwin or Eric... Because that's how our Congress is paying attention. Uh, looks like the, the accomplices are being targeted, and we'll hear about who they are soon. This February 10th memo from the National Security Agency to members of Congress detailing uh, to some great extent what they believe now has happened. And what they're saying to Congress is there was an NSA civilian who Snowden apparently got to enter his, the civilian's password, into computers Snowden was using. The person did not know, of course, uh, he says, that Snowden 
Snowden was going to steal information from the NSA databases, enters his password, and Snowden, unbeknownst to him, is able to capture that password and use it. That civilian, who is not identified now, uh, has left the employment of the NSA. The NSA says that it has uh, informed the Justice Department of all of this. No information about what will happen next. The memo, pretty tantalizing because it also says there is a contractor and an active duty member of the U.S. military also caught up in all of this. But the NSA is saying it's going to leave it to their employers to deal with it. So perhaps mm. more to come. All of this, of course, a massive security violation, and it begins to explain how some of this happened. Yes, and I think it starts to put the strategy into clearer view of calling Snowden a thief by saying he didn't have access to this. He stole the documents. So this is a very different legal scenario that is completely right, and that also up. puts your buddy Glenn Greenballs into a bind because he's... Big bind. Now now he truly is a fence of stolen material. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So we both win. Beautiful. We both win. And it's a setup. Beautiful. It's a setup, though. It's so obvious because first we have douchebag Rogers trying to get Comey, the FBI guy who's new, let's face it, to say, yes, if you, if you um, are a whistleblower and you stole a dress, then you're a thief. If you're a whistleblower, but you stole the documents, then you are a thief. And if you sell those documents, you are fencing. So if you did not, so it's, it's a very specific difference between having access to the documents and saying, whoa, this is wrong, what's going on, or stealing the documents. Then that is an, that will not, that will put Snowden outside of the um, whistleblower category and place him firmly into the thief category. Well, it changes a lot of premises because Snowden was always sold to the American public as a guy who had access, and that was a, it was scandalous that he had access. And now that if he didn't have access and he just stole a password and went in, this changes the whole thing. This is going to take a lot of work to straighten this out. It, I think, I think it's, uh, and it's, it's so clear that you can set this up. It's easy to get some other civilian to say, "Yeah, I know, I gave that to him." Yeah, and I did some that. other active member of the DOD. Yeah, yeah, you find some stooge to do that. Well, okay, I think we've gone too long, <sighs> dude. We've gone way. This too will long. be back in the conversation, I'm sure. It's, I think that's going to be one of the major focus eyes of the, the coming week. Probably. That and the, we got it. It's funny that mainstream media hasn't picked up on this North Korea thing. <laughs> the, Again. The experience North Korea trips? Yeah. It's dynamite. <laughs> yes, perfect. What do you have to get? You know, there's that, ex, that interest that Vice Magazine used through China, I think, was the... The way to go, because you get your documents right there on the spot. Right, and you're good to go. Well, yeah, although they seem to be steering clear of all things China, which is interesting. Well, I'm not sure. Not well, sure. Yeah, that's weird, too. Well, we'll figure it out. Figure it out and take the visit. We're definitely going to do our best. And we will continue to do that for you on Thursday when we come back on the best podcast in the universe. Remember us at Dvorak.org slash NA as we move closer towards episode 600. You can become a special executive producer. 
Coming to you from FEMA Region 6 here in Austin, Texas, capital of the Drone Star State. In the morning, everybody, I'm Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where the motto is, taser, 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 I'm John C. Dvorak. (laughs) We'll be back on Thursday right here on No Agenda. He's a constitutional lawyer. The best podcast in the universe. Dvorak.org slash N-A